this is going to be another episode of Summoning Insight. Bad news, TSM went 2-0 this week. They Actually, technically, TSM might be the best team in the LCS. Team Liquid didn't go 2-0. Cloud9 didn't go 2-0. All I'm saying is... All I'm saying is, no, I'm not saying that at all. I don't even, uh, by the way, spoiler, they beat the worst other teams in the league. So I will just put that out there. Although to be fair, one of the most immortals who actually do things better than advertised they, by the record. They beat, they, they, I mean, they had, they had a solid win. They had a solid win as well. The only thing so. is, though, I am just saying, look, I get that all very few other big teams went 2-0. But it's like my joke was when that, when that tweet was put up, like, and Tactical is your player of the week. I was like, what year is it? Like, am I in 2019? <laughs> what are you talking about 2020? I guess it would be. It like, that was years ago. He was really good. So, I mean, they beat, they beat the best team in the league. You know, allegedly, For sure. so, you know, yeah. they had solid wins and I actually think TSM played significantly better this week overall. Sure. I think they simplified their compositions. Um, I think takeover is looking better. I think Shen Yi in particular had a had a really good week. I think Spika had a very good week. So this is much more what we would have expected. Uh, I mean, I didn't know what to expect from Shen Yi, to be fair, but from Spika and Huni, you you would have expected these performances. Now, were there immense blunders that were taking place by their opponents? Yes. But it was a it was a notable improvement as well. Sure. Indeed. In fact, actually, right now, by the way, I actually think LCS has absurd parity beyond Cloud9 and Team Liquid. And by the way, they've already got their playoffs, but they all know there is clear. Mate, from position three to like nine in the LCS is mad competitive right now. Those games are all over the place. You can't you can't you absolutely cannot tell who's gonna win some of these matches now. Yeah, I mean I I agree. Uh I was I was somewhat surprised. I've obviously, like there were a lot of surprising results from this last week. Um, FlyQuest beating Team Liquid being another one. Although I think I think FlyQuest played that out particularly well, and I really like the comp that they had. And it was another Team Liquid mistake. I mean, there there were, there have been a bunch of like late game Team Liquid macro errors where they get caught out in some you know parts of the map, which allow their opponents to get back in. And again, if you're playing a, a hyperscaling composition where you're you've got the Vagar and the Tristana, it's it can be very difficult to uh, uh, come back once you get your lead eliminated uh like we we saw team liquid and then again whippo getting caught out just like he kind of did against cloud nine playing a little bit overly aggressive cost them a game so now do i think that flyquest would beat team liquid in a best of five absolutely not uh but i i do think that team liquid is is not a lock for first place in the LCS. Here's right? the thing, Monty. The problem for me with that game, it was actually one of the ones I watched in my live viewing party. So I actually watched the whole match as it happened. Is that was an example of a game where it's just it just saps a bit of your feeling that like team could be good at MSI or Worlds or something. You know, you watch that game and you're like. Really? Because essentially in the game, Team Liquid had enough advantages that, look, there was obviously a Vagar and Tristan. Like, there was some scaling on the other side. But even so, like, Bwipo was way ahead from early in the game, from kills in his lane. Basically was controlling the game and just it just unnecessarily inted away a couple of kills. There was one where he died inside their base that was, like, so egregious. It's like, dude, just back off. This game's almost won. Like, you're just... He was doing some, like, TSM Hooney shit from last year where he just into the game. And then on top of that... Bjergsen was just invisible in this game, mate. The Takui guy on the other side who was playing the Vagar, he looked like an actual mid laner. Like, he took his chances when he had them. Bjergsen did fuck all in this game. It was actually a bit depressing. It was, he was another classic Western Ari, which is, as we all know, the new Evelyn pick because you're fucking invisible when you play it. It's a nightmare, that pick. I hate that pick so much, mate. Is NA Ari the new NA Jace? It feels like it, doesn't it? It feels like it. <laughs> I I think uh I think what the problem I see for Team Liquid is that if they win and if they go to MSI, 
uh, and these are a lot of ifs, if the meta is the same as it is right now, and if also T1 goes, uh, T1 is basically like perfected, and some of the LPL teams have basically perfected this like side lane pickoff strategy where their punishments from, from pushing too far down a lane or playing a little bit too aggressively in the split are so severe, and they're playing champion compositions that have such insane engage regions, ranges, unlike the composition that FlyQuest was playing, by the way. I mean, we're talking about, like, the mid lane Kai'Sa or the bot lane Kai'Sa, or we're talking about Vex, or we're talking about good Ari players, right? It's going to be really, really hard for Team Liquid to win because those mistakes that they make are going to be punished faster and harder. And I think they would get absolutely blown up at, at a tournament like MSI in this meta. I also just feel like, look, like here's the thing you have to realize. I'm not going to write off Bjergsen. He was a truly great player who had many, many years where he was excellent and adapted to the meta. So what I would say is this. With the Bjergsen I've seen so far... Remember, guys, the split's just bloody ended. Like, I'm waiting for Summer if he's going to get his shit together as, like, a star player. At the moment, it doesn't even look like mentally he's in the game trying to be a star player. Dude, it looks like he's buying into these drafts where his pick isn't the fucking carry. And he, you, obviously, they're going, like, in this game, if people don't know, they had Lucian as fucking Bwipo. He was trying to do, like, a fucking Jawu cosplay from last year. But guess what, Bwipo? You haven't got the macro understanding that Jawu did as that game fucking I mean, showed. I also think he hasn't, I'm pretty sure he hasn't played uh, Lucian before this year. I like I he, he hasn't historically been a Lucian player, even when Lucian top was a thing. Right. So I think it was his first or second game uh, on sense. Lucian. Uh, so it, not to say, I mean, Bupo has a huge champion pool. So not to say that he can't get good on it given time. And certainly with the Lucian buffs, I, I think we've already seen that play out that we're going to, to have more Lucian overall um, in the professional meta. But that said, I think a lot of Bjergsen's play has been that he has been playing more of a support element with the Ari or with uh, the Zillion for his team. And whatever is going on in scrims, it must be just like Whippo and, and Hansama and Core JJ just stomping people so that Bjergsen can is not really expected to carry on this roster. and is That's my problem, though, dude, is because the problem is when you go to MSI, you are going to sit down opposite Rookie. Like, for, they're like <laughs> the best players in the world at mid lane. Like, again, we're not they're not sitting against fucking Poor Belter. You are going to be playing the studs, the guys who, as we were talking about last episode, when they pick Vex, it's game over. They're smurfing on the whole fucking server. <laughs> Meanwhile, you're going like, ah, I can sort of play a, a low econ mid. Like, what the fuck is this shit? Like, that's how it's going to narrative. In well, the actual game, it ain't going to live... But, it, but the, it's well that way. <laughs> no, it's not even working well now in the LCS and some of these TL losses is the point, Thor. And like, yeah, absolutely, I agree with you. But the point is, is like whatever's happening in their scrims where Bjergsen thinks he can kind of play second fiddle in games where Bwipo basically, I mean, he jumped in on the Jackson kind of ruined the Cloud9 game and then he overstayed at bot, bot lane inhibitor uh, and kind of ruined this game in the end is that, you know, at some point, either Whipple has to stop making these mistakes or Bjergsen is going to have to step up. Like one of those things has to be true. I think if Team Liquid wants to be able to win this split, because I think Cloud9 is probably the team that would do better internationally just on a pound for pound level. And if you look at the way, I, I don't think, you know, if we look at Fudge, he he's playing a wide variety of champions, but he is basically playing second fiddle oh, to Summit and Berserker on this roster. Yeah. The difference is that Summit and Berserker are not throwing games in the same way yes. that Whippo is right now. So 
You know, uh, it, it works better when that the happens. The problem is, this is just who Whipple is if you've seen him play long enough. Like, he's a person where his actual a strength of his and a weakness is, is that he is an incredibly volatile, variable yeah. player. But he that's also win you straight games. Yeah, like, that's, 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 that's what how I do. it is. Essentially, I've always described him as, I, I mean, my analogy was, if you want to go for, like, a top player, but I always said he's, like, the Western, the shy, basically. If you look again, he either, like, smurfs the game or yints it. And they look the same, because guess what? It depends, essentially, the context of how the initial game goes to whether you are hitting or you're just smurfing and then the other angle i would have is in terms of like the role i see him having though i do think he's valuable because i think in some ways he's kind of like a hillisang type character you actually want some of that like crazy explosiveness because yeah like you're saying there's times it'll just win you a game outright entirely or he'll just gamble correctly by the way that can also be really good against asian players like that's not their style of play if they're lck players and they're coming from that set meta you know that's the kind of play you want to disrupt them the problem is it's like we're saying you have to have the team structure like if we're poor set but he's kind of like another piece and it's like if he goes off you win the game if he doesn't we can manage if the team's built around it and like in this game it's like if he makes the int you can it gives them a way back in that's when i'm worried because the problem is like this is a perfect game because think about it, right he's playing a fucking lucian which like yeah you might have all the kills and weapons dude but that you get blown up like that if you get caught you aren't playing yeah. like fucking narrow something so the problem and is he needs you to carry because you have the yeah. advantage so the problem is at the moment in team liquid he's walking the tightrope as it were like if he stays upright it's great but if he falls, it's fucking. It's, it's, the team looks a lot worse. And I think the team liquid stands will be like, well, what about Summit? He ends sometimes. And yeah, he does. I'm not saying Summit is like a super, you know, stable, reliable player, but his ints have been less bad. Like they're not like game ending ints like Whippo's had in the last couple team liquid losses, right? Uh, I think Summit does occasionally run it down, but most of the time when he does that, the game, after he does it, the game is still in a recoverable state. Uh, where it's very, very difficult to argue that, um, you know, on the Blippo side. Now, and again, as you're saying, Thor, and sometimes he can win you games, and it's possible that we're just looking at a couple of instances where, uh, you know, he got, he was on the kind of the bad end of of the gamble, and there there's certainly a world where the next couple of games he's on the good end of the gamble, and it looks genius, and he wins. Yeah, he'll be the right? player of the game, of course. Yeah, exactly. Right. So... It's hard. I mean, obviously, like, I think Team Liquid and Cloud9 are, are both good teams that have the potential to be, com like, legitimately competitive internationally. I don't think there are really a lot of flawless teams right now, and I say this as T1 has an undefeated season, <laughs> but with asterisks, et, et cetera, et cetera. Yes. Um, also, you know, they, they have lost games in kind of a silly fashion at times. They do have a very specific way of playing, where if the game is changed dramatically by MSI could mean that they are no longer a, a, a super good team. You know, they've been reliant on some very specific compositions and I, I haven't really, I haven't heard, a, I haven't really heard anybody talk about it or like the way that they win. Um, but it is, it is really interesting and they kind of do have a formula, um, which we can get into if you want. Do you want to talk a bit about T1 then? Yeah. I mean, I think we have to, cause they, they absolutely, you know, crushed this league, went 18 and 0. Yes, it was against two of the games against Gen G were with substitutes, which tarnishes their record. They played against a lot of other teams with substitutes. They themselves. Red Brion Academy squad did play a game, <laughs> technically. I was against them, right? Yeah, right, it was. Uh, yeah, it was. Yeah. They, they lost 0-2, and it was two 19-minute games against T1. It was uh, it was a it was an impressive display of dominance, I will say, by T1. <laughs> um but like, if you look at the way that that T1 plays their games, right? Um, we don't really know if how broad the 
their abilities are when it comes to team compositions because they they have played this kind of we we talked about this ever since they they had that really tough match against KT where KT came in with the Vikla on the Ari in mid lane and then having the Kaisa in bot lane and KT did very well basically with a pick composition T1 then has essentially been running pick compositions ever since that point in time. And the kind of recipe for a T1 comp is that you get some element of a poke champion because they like to poke very aggressively before they actually engage on an objective, right? They like to chunk health bars. Um, they will do that through a variety of ways. Part of it has been Zayas playing 15 games of Jace, which is by far his most played champion this split. The next one is Nar with six, so there's a pretty big difference there. Um, another one is like pretty aggressive poking with Jinx, uh, either Rockets or by having her kind of ult early in order to poke people out. A lot of it's been Faker on LeBlanc. I mean, champions like LeBlanc, Vex, his mid Kaisa, his Ari, which allow you to poke very or chunk people before fights very effectively. And they couple this with a, an engaged support, typically. And Korea um, has the highest death percentage of the team. They basically sacrifice him in order to engage fights after the poke goes down. He is the MVP, though. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, yeah, he's great. <laughs> um, and then what they do is they play a reset champ, like a reset hyper carry. So oftentimes, the most of the time, I would say that's Jinx, um, but it could be Ari, uh, basically getting resets on the dash. It it has been Aurelia as well in some of these games. Uh, has been Viego uh, at times. So effectively, what they do, and this is true of almost every game that they play, is they focus on heavy poke early, um, and they chunk you out. And then they attempt to either you either they bully you off the objective. And if you fight them, then they just re, they get resets on you um, and they engage with Nautilus and they get resets or they engage with Thresh and they get resets or Karma and they get resets. Right. And this has been really, really successful for them overall. Um, and they mix it up as to who's doing what in a particular game. You know, if you look at. If you look at this past week, like they might have the Aurelia top getting resets, but they might couple that with like a, you know, the, you know, a LeBlanc mid or something like that. Um, was a, I'll check out the exact comps that they used this last week, but they've been pretty consistent in the way that they have approached these games. And it's a good, it's a good system and it works really well. It allows you a lot of flexibility in the way that you, that you play these games and yeah, which is which I mean, is the element of it that you're concerned might be changed? Is there anything like coming up in the patches that potentially shifts this? I, I mean, who knows? They sometimes they do very large patches before MSI. Um, if they heavily nerf a lot of the the hyper carries, they could change bounties in a way that that or uh, yeah, uh, that might be difficult to deal with. They could nerf Jace would probably be a pretty big one considering his play worldwide right now. So there are kind of different ways that Riot could make these changes. Um, so yeah, this last week, like they, oh, they played the Vagar. That's right. They played the Vagar with the Aurelia and then they used Gumayushi on, um, on Varus to poke. So that was like a different, that was kind of like a different way that they were operating this composition, but they, they you kind of see each of, and then they had the, the resets as well on Viego. So you kind of see the way that they, 
uh, think about the game right now. And a lot of these compositions, even though there's a wide pool of champions that can accomplish their goal, they kind of figured out in each lane how they can adapt and still have this basic rubric together in order to play out these games. But it is heavily dependent on poke and it is heavily dependent on having a hyper carry. And this is good because again, it plays into this whole narrative we talked about the entire season about the knock-on effects of not have, being able to teleport, which allows you to play hyper carries in the bot lane. Um, and then they've kind of been experimenting and discovering how they can play um, different champions that other people don't play like Kaisa Mid uh, and kind of fit it into this scheme that they have. So it's really good. It's really good right now. And they are really, really fucking good at executing it. So if the meta doesn't change, I think they're in an excellent place uh, in terms of international competition. But if there are significant nerfs to some of the core champions, especially flex picks um, like the Kai'Sa, it could, it could make MSI a little bit weird for them. Or they, you know, who knows? They could have... They could be able to equally, you know, play equally well different styles of compositions. We just haven't seen it in the last few weeks. Do you think, like, because uh, here's the real problem, because of the fact that we never got those Gen G matches that everyone was hoping for, it's kind of robbed T1 of, like, this would be the position, just as with Down 1 last year, where you could say, are they the best team in the world? The problem is they don't really have the same type of elite competition overall as the LPL does, where they obviously have, you can go like six teams deep there right now and they're all fucking bangers potentially. But even then, no one knows who's number one. So right now I feel it's the most uncertain league's ever been. There is no sure, yeah. one. Yeah, I think it's, it's difficult to tell. Uh, as you say, the competition hasn't been as good, but also one of the reasons the competition hasn't been good is that players haven't been playing due to COVID. So, yes. you know, we don't even know. Like, honestly, like we never even got to see number one versus number two at any point during this split. So like yeah. we can't we can't actually know what the level of of real competition is. Hopefully Indeed. we'll know in the playoffs, right? <laughs> right? Obviously this ties in as a segue to something we discussed on I think it was the last episode, right, which was yep. this premise where no one really knows yet if the playoffs will even go as planned as well, because currently, just as the aforementioned Frederick Brion had to play with their entire academy squad because people tested positive, at the moment, the way it works in LCK is unlike in the LCS, where if someone just tests positive, you know, we put, or in LEC, you put like fucking teddy bears in the chairs and you're all just in a facility. Basically, if you're, if you test positive, you're just out of the next match until you then test negative. So oh, they changed this. It. Right, yes. So this was what we were discussing because obviously the yep. question would be, will they allow them to play remotely for the playoffs? So let's talk about this topic then. Okay. So I, I'm gonna go on a probably pretty long rant here, guys, because I got I know I shouldn't be get, getting trig triggered by Reddit, but I got mega triggered by Reddit. I told Reddit's fault he's getting triggered. <laughs> I'm doing triggering. To be fair, they go there to trigger us, so it all works. Yeah, you know, it's a symbiotic effect. <laughs> so so what happened what happened was what what happened was uh, how Reddit triggered me was that there was a thread on the LOL subreddit basically saying, trying to make excuses, uninformed excuses about how uh, how LCK couldn't possibly switch to remote play, even though they had done remote play previously. So I have to go through this argument by argument, because a lot of this was, it, the thread literally named me as, you know, kind of being reaction into my my, my takes to other, other personalities' takes. Raz was tweeting about it as well. Um, and then a lot of the comments were like, would Monty say something without knowledge? Of course he would, ha ha ha, like as if I was making shit up. When this is an unsourced post 
that just vomited out a bunch of claims that were, I can tell you were untrue. And I don't just make shit up, guys. I know this may blow your mind, but after five years of living in Korea, I have a lot of contacts in Korea. I know what the fuck is going on. And here, we're going to prove it. Okay, guys? Wasn't an uninformed take. So, as you can see, wow, they instantly changed it. Weird. It's almost like the claims that KESPA required on-site referees or that there was some mysterious Korean law that nobody could actually fucking cite would require this to happen or that there was some bureaucracy that was causing this from a rules perspective, okay? First off, how are other regions dealing with remote players and cheating? LCK could literally just ask. They could just ask the other regions and copy those procedures. Like, Riot certainly has ways to prevent cheating remotely if they're actively monitoring the situation, right? Don't think it's that big of a deal, honestly, okay? So the other thing was talking about Korean laws, about isolation. Yes, you do have to be isolated. The teams can provide isolation for you. That's not a big deal. You can still play remotely in a room by your fucking self. That is possible, as has been proven. So here you go, guys. Here's what actually happened. And this has to go with the governance and the way that competitive in integrity and the way the commissioner of the LCK has been, in my opinion, misbehaving. The league itself, and you can look at this for proof, by the way. So there's two things that corroborate what I'm saying publicly so that you can go and look. First off, Arnold from GenG in the thread on Reddit said that the Kespa stuff was misinformation and that Kespa was not the reason and these refs being in the room were not the reason why they couldn't do anything. So we just knock that one right off from a public statement from a team CEO. Now, Joe Marsh also tweeted a kind of cryptic tweet about the 10 teams in LCK agreeing on something. This is from T1, if people thought From T1, the CEO of T1. So what happened was that LCK, instead of governing itself, decided that they should have all of the teams unanimously decide to go remote as opposed to owning their own decision. So if even one person dissents it, it doesn't happen. Right. Correct. And you can see the problem with this because it affects competitive integrity. If you, if you are a team that is heading into the playoffs and let's say all of Fred at Breon gets sick, you can veto this in order to make sure your team gets into playoffs. Now, I don't know who was vetoing this. I do not know. So I'm not going to like say I do, but I do know that some teams were holding out towards the end, which is why it wasn't changing. Okay. And that's why Joe Marsh made the tweet that he did when it actually happened and all the teams agreed to it. You cannot have this occur because somebody who has the leagues and the competition's best interest at heart has to be able to put their foot down and say, no, this is an unfair situation. And we are giving potentially just one team the enormous power to decide how playoffs go potentially or who gets into playoffs. Okay. So you cannot have this. Like the commissioner, the phantom commissioner of LCK should be making a public statement saying this is the decision. It may not be popular with some of the teams, but this is how it has to go because that's the job of being a commissioner, guys. You have to safeguard the competitive integrity of the league and someone is always going to get mad. And sometimes Gosh. the fans are going to get mad and you just have to own it. That's just your Agreed. fucking job. Okay. So basically LCK allowed itself to get hijacked by the teams which destroyed the competitive integrity of this entire scenario. They also clearly did not have a plan about what happens if COVID cases get too high. Now to explain what's going on for, for those of you in Korea, last week, 
They were hitting peaks of 600,000 new cases a day, which is half a percent of the Korean population in one day. And they were up to about 2% of the population in a single week testing positive for COVID because they just got Omicron over there. Now, this was not sudden. This was happening. It, it, the, the caseloads were increasing and there was no plan. There's no contingency. There's no contingency about how this was going to occur, even though. Korea could have looked at any other country in the world and said, seemed like, wow, Omicron is really, you know, those cases oh. are, we know what happens in every other country because they were one of the last ones to get it right now. And there, was, there wasn't a plan. Uh, so it's another failure on behalf, on, the, you know, on behalf of the teams and mostly, again, the league for not even forcing this issue earlier on. Now we're going to get into something else. So you might be wondering, well, why couldn't they delay games? Well, because there are three days before playoffs in LCK. Now, there were also three days before playoffs last year in the spring split. So this isn't new. We can have an argument whether we should have more than three days before playoffs. My answer would be yes. It used to be That's like either. at least a week from, I remember back in the day, yeah? <laughs> yeah, it should be probably two weeks. You know, I, I like how LEC has like a three-week break. Anyway, it's neither here nor there. So that's the argument that was being made. However, here's what nobody is talking about. LCK playoffs are starting a week earlier this year than last year. And the reason why they're starting a week earlier is because last spring split, they started on the same week. And in the second round robin, they went from five best of threes per week to four. Okay? So it takes an extra week to finish the competition. This year in spring, they kept five best of threes for the entire split to accelerate the schedule by one week. Okay, you say to yourself, why would they do that? And if they have an extra week, if MSI is planned at the same dates, I don't think it will be. I think it'll be slightly later, guys, just for that's that's an aside. Why would they do that? Why would they accelerate the schedule by a week? Well, this year, there are these things called the Asian Games. And the Asian Games are very, very important to the Korean players because if they win a gold medal, and they happen once every four years, so the last one happened in 2018, if they win a gold medal, they are exempted from their military service. They did not figure to not win a gold medal last time. The Chinese team won the 2018 yes. Asian Games. And so those, it's not the, the Asian Games don't happen until September, guys. What's going to happen is that there are qualifiers for the Asian Games. So the league schedule itself was condensed in order to give players a break and to practice with the Asian Games. Now, keep in mind, there can only be like five or six players, I think, with a substitute on this roster. And in theory, this roster could contain Korean players who play in the LPL. That's a thing. Yep, true. So what you're saying is the games, there is, there is an extra week. They could have delayed to the same schedule in order to, I don't know, not make Fredit Brian play with an entire roster of substitutes and then curtailed some of the practice time for the Asian games because right now the entirety of the LCK is being condensed for the, not even guarantee, the chance that maybe six LCK players can go to the Asian games, which is a separate tournament, which is, by the way, not in the best interest of the LCK, the league itself. Yeah, so the competitive not, integrity right, of LCK yeah. has been sacrificed for a different tournament. And I understand that the players really care about this. And I understand that they don't want to do this military service, right? I get it. But there's no guarantee that they won't do the military service. They didn't win last time. So you might be sacrificing this for three players, three Korean players who don't even play in LCK, and maybe they don't even win. And then what? 
So now we just get fake ass games in LCK as a result of this. Because I think the thing that might be lost on Western fans is they might think similarly, like that you said at the end there, Monty, like this isn't a tournament that's part of like the league world circuit that's, you know, builds into worlds or it's not, it's nothing to do with it at all. It's essentially like the Olympics, but with video yes. games and only among Asian countries. And this is also where if there's a Westerner, you're not going to get it. Like this isn't like a Fonzie tournament. Like people might know there was another tournament that tried the national approach. It was actually, by the way, the guys behind PGL, I think who run it, which is the IESF tournament that's run all the time. Time where it has like amateurs and semi pros and they compete under their nationality, right? But the difference is that's just like a, a side tournament that no one cares about. The Asian countries, Korea especially, care an immense amount about winning tournaments like yes. this. Like, even politically, it's a big deal. Like, I'll guarantee, by the way, years ago, even though that was the year we all know RNG came up and it was basically just RNG plus like one or two other players or something that won that tournament. Actually, at the time, that will have been really embarrassing for Korea. They've been champions of league all those years. The first time you're doing sort of an Olympics tournament and China beats you like that's egg on your face like people don't realise those stories aren't made up you know you know when the Koreans do those interviews where they're sort of like they almost imply that like second place is first loser like they just don't give a fuck if you come second like th that really is baked into their culture I mean there's a very famous story people might know I think it was from the Olympics decades ago there was a story where I think it was Japanese runners there was these Japanese runners Monty and one of them didn't win so he committed suicide. Like the reason that's as a, as a Westerner, that's inconceivable is because there was more than one of them. So one of them was never going to win anyway. So you think like, how, how can this, but that the point is for them, the stakes are incredibly high. What, what your country is seen yep. to represent, whether you're better, where you can compete on the world stage. Like uh, essentially, if you're Kesper, the Korean Esports Association, remember, you do really care about this tournament. We don't as fans. Like I, I care in the sense that if the game was a great game, I'd care. But like, I, as you say, if you ask me, do I want to compromise some of like the quality, the integrity of the games in LCK? Of course not. That goes on saying I would say no, but sadly, I think this is where politics has a shadow that looms large over esports sometimes. Yeah, I also think, um, from what I understand, that League of, this is the first time League of Legends is being like a featured game uh, right. at the Asian Games. It did exist at previous ones, but I think it, there's more of a spotlight on it this time. So I do think that there is a push um, from people within LCK because they think that the game being highlighted with this level of prestige is going to bring in more money and sponsors into the league. Like that, that could be a reason why you want it. Like it actually does benefit LCK in order to make these scheduling uh, arrangements. But let, let me bring up a different, a different, uh, a point here because let's take a look at the NHL. So if you guys didn't watch the winter Olympics this year, uh, usually the NHL bring builds in a break so that NHL players can play in the Olympics this year because they had to stop games because they actually had to shut down the entire league for a few weeks because they there were too many cases of COVID. They actually canceled the Olympic break, didn't let any NHL players go to the Winter Olympics and played NHL games during that time instead. So this is a really similar situation, guys, like basically the identical situation, except the Asian Games isn't even as big as the Olympics. It's number two to the Olympics, right? And the league decided that it was in the league's best interest in order to not sacrifice their competitive integrity and their scheduling in order to play those games. And but my problem is, is like, even if you agree that the Asian games are important, even if the players want to play them, there is nobody at the LCK who appears to be fighting publicly for the competitive integrity of this league. It's anonymous Twitter posts. There's no face behind it. There's no name behind it. It is, it's irresponsible and cowardly. Why, why is no one at LCK capable of taking a public stand? Because they're afraid of the fans. 
And it's like, too bad. That's the job. That, that's it. And meanwhile, what's even more disgusting to me is like in the in the faker remake game that we saw, they're releasing the voice comms for the referee and throwing this poor fucking ref under the bus yes. while there's no voice making an official decision. What yeah. is this? What the fuck is this? It's embarrassing. I can't even imagine if you went on those fucking DC inside or whatever, those forums in Korea. I bet I bet that fucking referee has just been torn apart, Monty. I bet it's, yeah, it's not it's fair, like right? Now. I know. <laughs> it's not fair. That's and brutal. Like, and, and like, we already have a precedent. Like, we already have a precedent in the NHL and the Winter Games about what should, in my opinion, happen in this situation. And it's not sacrifice the LCK so that they can have more of a break when they were already playing a condensed schedule, when they're already like the league needs to take some level of responsibility for not having these plans in place for allowing the teams to choose, which is just, that is just baffling to me. Like the whole point of having a commissioner is to be the one who mediates between the teams and who is the, the neutral pillar of competitive integrity, which is just gone completely out the window. So I'm, I'm mad. And I'm mad that, that people think I'm talking out of my ass when they're, those are the facts, guys. Those are the facts of this issue. And I knew what the facts were. Sometimes I don't want to reveal all the facts and I have an opinion. And maybe Monty knows more than he's letting on because he doesn't want to leak shit because I try and resolve this stuff behind the scenes. And it has been resolved sort of now, right? Like we can't undo the past damage. At the very least, we're, we're not going to get hopefully fraudulent playoffs. And also for all you guys who are like, won't somebody think of the players or the players might be forced to play if they have COVID. Show me a sport on earth where if the doctor and the player says they feel fine, even if they're slightly injured, they're not in the game. Like they're adults, dude. They don't need you to fucking protect them. In the UFC, anyone who's seen a UFC fight, title fight knows exactly what I'm talking about. Even if the guy's hair is half hanging off, we all low-key want that doctor and the fighter to go like, no, no, I'm fine. It's fine. Continue. Like you can even see he's definitely not okay, but we all want the fight to keep going so that everyone goes out of their way to get the guy back on the field, of course. That's the problem, mate. Unfortunately, these last few years have made people flip the other way and it's like they've taken the premise of harm reduction and they've gone too far because what they haven't asked themselves is what are you giving up in exchange for the harm reduction if the answer is everything well then we've got nothing left to have have we we've given up everything like that part makes no sense does it boys so the point is there's always going to be some give and take on this topic and in this case by the way Monty's actually arguing in theory for the safer fucking option than they currently do except obviously they would say by not playing a Tartar but we're, we're giving you like a compromise between safety and and get to play the game and have it be reasonably competitive still. Because as we're saying, like, if you put an entire team out, you may as well just give that a forfeit. There's almost no point playing the game. Also, what fucking fantasy do you guys live in where every person playing a sport is always at 100%? You never fucking know. Somebody could have a cold. Like, and if somebody had a really severe case of COVID, should they be playing? No. Oh, no, they shouldn't. So. But you can't just, you can't just be like, if they have COVID, they can't play. Many people don't even have symptoms. So, like, you should let let that be the player and the team's yes, decision as to indeed. their own abilities. That's it. You can't be that person, so you can't know. And we don't have to just like, oh, protect the poor pro players. Like, they're adults. They can make their own decisions, guys. Come on. If they want to compete, they should compete. Thing is, though, that is low key, by the way, my, one of my number one triggers, which is like esports is the field that shows that old quote is so right, Monty. You know, like a little a little knowledge can be a dangerous thing. Because whenever some fucking nephew slash reply guy gets one piece of info 
They just shut down all convo because they think they know fucking everything. So the worst people ever are the ones who like, like maybe this guy knew a little bit about like Casper or he's Googled and gone, oh, actually there's a tournament cover. So then they just go, they just think they then have the reason. But the joke is like, we might even know a person that's more connected than the source you're getting it from, you idiots. And that person might not be able to speak publicly. Maybe Monty, given his take, was actually like someone's come to him and said, oh, you don't know the Korean scenes. Uh, there's a drama at the moment. People don't, you don't know that, you idiots. Hey, when you see these articles come out, Richard Lewis, all the rest of it, that's why. It's because they've got the fucking source network, boys. They know these people. <laughs> also, guys, who the fuck are you going to trust these days? Everybody in league works for Riot. Like, literally everybody. Like, the, we're the we're the last free nation of esports over here holding our own. We're the fucking 300 in the Thermopylae Pass. Like, come on. There's nobody else. That's it. You know it's, one it's, thing it's, that is mad overplayed is, you know, that angle that they think we just come up with these topics to keep ourselves relevant, keep drama going. The joke is this. It's actually not that common that there's a Four Horsemen episode. We're all like licking our lips for like, oh, I can't wait for this. The joke is half the time, like, like we might have to do two of those this week, by the way, guys. Half the time I'm like, do I, oh, do. for me, the Four Horsemen's almost like with that fucking scene in the movie where they come out the log cabin and they're like, you have to come back for one more job. I'm like, oh, I've got my family here. I escaped. Can I live my life? They're like, one more heist story. Like, no, but no. It's the opposite. I don't want there to be infinite dramas we have to address. I'd like to actually talk about the bloody games if we could watch and play LCK. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's, it's really much happened. Yeah, <laughs> I, I would rather just watch good matches where everybody exactly. can play, guys. Like, come exactly. on, please, just let me do that. Exactly, <laughs> the industry is so fucked. Absolutely, is Richard because Richard, remember, is fucking content banned from the sub. Can this motherfucker not just be allowed to live the rest of his life without talking about League of Legends? But no, we've had to drag him over to that space again to repeatedly <laughs> go through the same stories over here. LCS has a player union. This TSM shit going on. Oh my god, conflict of interest. Like fucking, it never ends for that guy, does it? He's just in a permanent hall of mirrors. Just have <laughs> seen this before. It's just a new drama. Where am I? Like he's like at that fucking scene at the end of Interstellar, mate. Richard Lewis is just looking through all like the libraries and all the dramas and conflicts of interest through all of esports history simultaneously, trying to just reach out to us to communicate. You know. Well, it's also like it's you just get incredulous every time. Like, how could this actually be real? Know, like, like how could that double lift of Edlina? Like, how could they have you know? How could they have publicly released the conflict of interest that they did? Like, how? What world am I living in where they would be, where they would possibly make that public? Like, I came online that day and I opened my Twitter feed and I saw that tweet by TSM where they themselves used the term conflict of interest. It felt like I was being tased or something. Like, Dude, this can't, can't be real. They're actually trying to make me go mentally ill. This is it. They're trying to make me believe I live in another dimension. This is fun. I couldn't. That was doing my head in so much. No. They just spent the previous year going. But what is? But what is the conflict? Is it? Well, who cares? They're not doing anything anyway. It's like, well, by the way, spoiler, you're about to find out soon why conflict of interest can be a motherfucker. You're really about <laughs> to find out soon on this one. You think you've found everything. You haven't found everything yet, boys. There's a lot more coming. Yeah, yeah there is there is going to be a lot more coming on this one. Um, and we we are get, we should talk briefly about the TSM stuff. Yeah, cool. I'm sure people want to hear about it. But we are going to be some doing a, coming a four. Story. There's going to be some four horsemening uh, yes. this week about that. So be prepared. Uh, there's actually too much to discuss here because like I, myself, Thorin and Richard all went digging independently um, and found a bunch of stuff. So it'd be a lot to talk about. But uh, the the thrust of it is, I mean, first off, look, 
TSM got screwed here. Like for once, it wasn't TSM management doing something to themselves, right? They legitimately got fleeced. Although it is funny to think about Peter Zhang potentially wasting millions of Reggie's dollars. That to, that is just it's funny. Very just funny. For funny. <laughs> reasons, obviously, yes, of course. <laughs> but of course. It, in actuality, the org and Reggie were the victims here, and uh, there was there was like. You know, this huge conflict of interest going on, there's still going to be, it seems like there's still going to be a lot more potential information coming out shortly about it. Uh, there are, basically the facts right now is that Peter Zhang allegedly, allegedly, because he claims it was for different reasons, um, was signing these Chinese and Taiwanese players over the last couple of years. So like uh, Gyurusan, Keoduo, uh, Shen Yi, and Sword Art. Well, acting as their agent secretly. So he was secret agent Peter. Um, and so that means he was taking a percentage of their salary while simultaneously taking a salary from TSM as a coach. So he was basically double dipping. Um, you know, this might be criminal fraud. It might be embezzlement. I, I, I'm not a lawyer, but it certainly could veer into those it's territories. It's ethical, because think about it. As their agent, your job is to get the most money possible from the org. As the representative of the org, your job is to give them as little as possible. Like, in this scenario, that already is unacceptable, in my opinion. And then the idea that potentially you're, like, profiting in both, you're like, yeah, this is some fuckery. Yeah. Um, at the very least, he he exposes himself to lawsuits from TSM, which I would assume that they will be filing um, as as just misconduct employee mis like severe employee misconduct. Uh, so there's there's a lot there's a lot to unpack there, but it's we don't know what the result of this is because there there's kind of like a wide range of things. Um, it could have been relatively innocuous. Uh, it could have been Peter talking to these players and saying like, oh no, I'll handle the agency part for you. And and it being, I wouldn't say a good faith uh, representation, but he could have been not predatory about it. That's certainly possible. Um, now, unfortunately, why you can't do this is because it opens up the possibility of extremely predatory behavior that may well have occurred. Such behavior might have been, uh, for instance, Peter knows that they want specific players then he goes to those players and says, I'm the coach. I'm going to tell them you fucking suck unless you give me a percentage of your salary. So it's like it'd be, he was basically that's like a protection rag. It'd be a shame if something happened to this roster yes. spot that we're going to hire you for. You better give me a cut. Uh, that's possible. The other possibility is that he could have signed these players as as being an agent in advance and then used his position as a coach to basically push them to TSM and said, this is the best player for this yes. role. And even if he wasn't the one ultimately making the decision, he was like strongly pushing that decision into a particular direction. And think of the context of if that scenario, that hypothetical you just presented, imagine that has any legs to it, Monty. Well, all of a sudden it doesn't look as mysterious that TSM thinks they're getting this like straight fire, like secret talents that no one else has found. But then when yep. you get them, you're bottom of the league and it's just not working. Like that all of a sudden, now you can see why you can't let that conflict of interest happen because now as a cynical outsider I start to think did Peter Zhang just get his mates or people he already had yep. the deal with like did he yep. not really try and get the players like as I said in that scenario by the way look 
then it probably never should have had Peter Zang in that position. But once that's once that ball's rolling, like if you're Reggie, you delegate. You're, you're, we've been telling him to delegate to these fucking people. We've been telling him not to make the choices. Like at the end of the day, if that person is tricking you, yep. you haven't got all the information. You can't make your own choices. You're using faulty information or or limited information or missing information in this case, aren't you? Yeah, and also we can put together some of the puzzle pieces from earlier too, because Lena has said publicly that they wanted the the Huni Spica Jensen double if Vulcan roster, and that that roster, even though it, it, Reggie has said publicly, again we just have to take these people's public statements, like we we don't know if this is true, but Reggie said publicly that it cost about the same when you consider yes. the the LPL buyouts um, of some of these these Chinese players that they got. So if if we're operating under the assumption that both of these rosters were comparably expensive. Uh, then we have to ask, why did they choose one over the other? And a very real reason could have been corruption within the org. And so. if you remember, there was even that thing where, I forget where this was said, but do you remember it? Like it was claimed by TS. It might even have been Reginald who said this. Didn't they say something mad? Like they flew like 20 players out to do like all tryouts and shit. So yeah. again, same question. 20 players and these are the ones you end up with like this is what i mean this is why you can't get embroiled or even open the door for people worrying about this and so to me like the not only is there behind the scenes stuff we can't say right now because it's going to drop later or maybe we'll address some it on that show but like this is a way bigger story than people realize it like essentially this even though it's one main individual his actions have just riddled throughout the year last few years of what the league squad's been all about so i mean i think this is a massive scandal personally yeah, and it could go deeper too. And you know, there are now reports of him taking substantial loans from some of the players. The Richard Lewis article talks about how um, Peter was tasked with selling Sword Art's car and then sending that money to China, and he kind of delayed on that for a long time. He was telling stories about um, how his grandmother was very sick and needed surgery, so he needed money for that, which may well be true, guys. Again, we don't know. We don't know. Um, but there hasn't been any proof of that, uh, that anybody that I know has seen, um, which you know, I, I, the, the tinfoil hat theory is that this is potentially some gambling issue because that's usually like when you, when you try to get loans from people for substantial amounts of money or, or are weird about money, sounds like a loan shark type scenario. It, you're in, it yeah. sounds like a loan shark scenario. Guys. You know what I mean? like, that means someone said, if you don't have money for me next week. You know what happened. Yeah, exactly. Because who else goes out there and goes, can you loan me tens of thousands of dollars? I can't really say why, so I'm going to just say for my grandma. There's another problem, right? That's also why when people make potentially lies, who knows if it's true or not? The reason why people do that is exactly so that you don't question it because obviously it feels awkward to go, well, does his, his grandma... You, just, you don't even want to say that. If you're in TSM, you'd just be like, oh, I'll just give him the money then. Obviously, he needs it. Because I can tell you, the players in the games I've followed who were like the ones who were like lazy and they skip practice, they never just say, I'm skipping practice money. They always... It's always like, my grandmother just died. My fucking brother's having his birthday. But the problem is, like, you just... You find out, wait a minute, wasn't that another grandma last year? They've, they've had like three of them, you know, they've done it like five yeah. times already. So, yeah, that already raised the red flag to me when you find out all the other shit and maybe on. it is real like again guys maybe it is real could be, it, certainly. It, it, it's possible that there was some expensive surgery that his family has it could be possible that there is a really um you know legitimate reason that was also covered by the lie of his grandma being sick if it was a lie right there could be some other sympathetic reason but uh, this is how this is by the way this is how ponzi schemes happen guys like this is how you know people who are in trouble with loan sharks or who have gambling addictions like the pattern here is suspicious 
in and of Especially because here's the thing to me that people didn't get. I know Double have tried to make this point, but believe it or not, Monty, Double if not always the most articulate individual. So anyway, what he was trying to make the point of, which I totally agreed with, the reason why this stands out suspicious to me, mate, is Peter Zhang has been in TSM many years now. He is not an entry-level employee. If I had to guess, he is on at least six figures a year, Monty. That goes without oh, saying, absolutely. right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And he has Easily. been there for years in team houses with uh, potentially, if he Zero wanted, expenses. lots of his cover of things. Who knows? He might even have equity in the org. There's all th sorts of fucking things. So the idea he himself can't just reach and point spoiler, I'm not rich. I could go and get, a, I won't say what I'm about, but I could get, like, a, if Monty had to lend 10K for some emergency, I could lend him 10k i could do that like the fact that he doesn't have that's why i'm saying i agree with you the vibe i'm getting from that is sort of like it's it's not about the money it's more like you're in some like separate thing like like you might be in debt and you just owe the money this month or this big it could be it could be like the, the the fucking sky williams like fucking ponzi scheme absolutely that he was yeah. running right where you know he, he, people borrow a bunch of money in order to fund a specific lifestyle um that is unsustainable for them yes. but absolutely he was on six figures and by the way guys if you can live in los angeles and not pay for your food and housing and you're making a hundred thousand dollars a year that's a fuck ton of money guys like yeah agreed <laughs> I mean, if, if I if I didn't have to pay for my house, that's a lot of money. That's a lot of disposable income. Um, so. And yeah. also, remember, I've always been bashed over the head for years about how Reginald's the best guy ever. And as he's kicking you off the team, he'll, like, fucking drive you to your next team and give you the shirt off his back. So why didn't he just go to Reggie and get the fucking... 28, 40k, 60k, who the fuck knows how much it was? Why didn't he just go to him, didn't he? Yeah, weird how that works. Also, I'll just say for all the fans who always told me that, like, Reginald's the greatest guy. You know, he helps you leave the team. Sven would disagree. He was in prison for one year. So <laughs> yeah, every time, not every time, guys. Not every time. I'm just saying. Just saying. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I don't know. So there, there's a lot There's a lot to unpack there. Just we will the be surface, doing... that's like a preview, boys. There's way more coming. All you yeah. need to know is this. As Monty said, we have pooled the source network and Richard Lewis has it all. He has it all, <laughs> boys. So it's just about what he's got nailed down, what he can speak about now. I imagine if we can really get it all out there, there's some, this, this is, a, like I said, this is one of those ones you pull on a thread and the whole fucking jumper unravels. So yeah, we'll, we'll get to that on the Four Horsemen coming this week. By the way, if you want to ask Richard a specific question, why not ask him in the fucking grog coin thingamajigger? Because obviously we'll be doing some of those questions for that. So if you yep. have something that a Welsh boomer involved in esports <laughs> and banned from League of Legends subreddit would want to answer, get your questions in now. Right, should we bring on Otto Abner then? Should we do a little break? Uh, we can give a little break. I I'm not sure if he's ready yet. Well, well, he messaged me and said he is, but he DM'd me because he's also a boomer, so he just doesn't know how to work. <laughs> it's all right. It's all right. He's here. He's here. <laughs> we'll go do that. Even though I was the one who asked him on the show, he DM'd you. Sorry about it. <laughs> All right, uh, we'll take a, a quick break, guys, and then uh, we'll be back to talk LEC. Right, we're joined by our guest for the episode, and it is, of course, Otto Amnir, the king of taking a classy beating, but a beating nonetheless in the top lane, and allowing someone else to carry the game, like every good top laner should. Yeah. First team All-Pro, as of today. Yeah, um... I, I see there's also some fine gentlemen out there who appreciate uh, my <laughs> my sort of playstyle of uh, huh? taking a beating for the greater good. <laughs> see, there are ways you could spin that to your advantage, Odoamne. You could be like, I have a steel jaw. You know, I can I can take the hits. Huh? Uh, you could you could rope a dope people, pretend you're weak, and then uh, come back and win the game. Right? Yeah, but. Um... <laughs> 
I think I'm I'm just I'm gonna stick with the steel jaw kind of mentality. <laughs> I'm just taking it from the team. It's, it's okay. Okay. <laughs> Nothing can bring me down. <laughs> Here's the problem, Monty. I've got a question for you, right? If you want, we can open the fucking can of worms. That is that all LEC topics. I got some rants if you do, but if it's not that interesting, we can do it on the show. So are people no, it just in... came out. It, it, so there's my problem, do. right? There's two problems I have every single split when they do the all LEC, all LCS awards. One is because they release fair play to riot. They do actually release that document that you can always download a PDF that shows exactly yep. who voted and who, what they put in their top three. But the trouble is when they do that, you always find these trends that we're about to find. So there's two things that tend to happen. One is unfortunately people who do the broadcast, who to be fair, are largely talking about narratives each week. They do tend to, in my opinion, there's always at least one player who the narrative feels like it's better than their player was. So there's one that's an obvious one I'm going to get to in a second. And then the other one is, unfortunately, in the past, this doesn't happen as much now. It used to just be that players would also purposely fuck with who they voted for to make people they don't like not win, you know? So like the classic example, if you remember back in the day was when Doublelift could have won the MVP one time, people who didn't like Doublelift on other teams, they were like putting like, he wasn't even top three in their ratings. And, you know, like they would put like, I don't know, fucking Alltech third just to essentially just to be like, fuck you, Doublelift, I'm going to give the points to someone else and ensure he didn't win so my problem is this right normally i'll be the guy you know this money i'm not the person who believes there's only one answer you can only like this is the right guy like i like to have a lot of like diversity of opinion people can have different takes but all i'm going to say is this and i want if i'm wrong or do i'm going to set me straight on this but i saw today the 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 voting for all lec and for first place mid laner most of the talent has voted humanoid the first place mid laner that that's just mid lane alone, by the way, not even MVP. So they have Humanoid, the best mid laner. He's number one for them. And if you look overall, it's between him and Vethio, understandably. Spoiler, Vethio will probably be the MVP of this split. But okay, it's between him and Vethio. And my boy Larson, the only fucking person in the world who even thinks he's the mid is fucking Oduan here. No one else even had him number one. Like, what? Like, dude, am I, am I, am I taking the crazy pills on there? I don't get this, mate, because here's the problem. For I watched every single game of Fnatic this split. I was doing a show with Dominate in this game, right? You know, sometimes there's splits where, you know, there's some games I don't watch if you play like Astralis or something. Dude, I don't get this, because genuinely, the split I just saw from Humanoid went like this. The first half of the split, he was like a bit, he had some games he just sort of was invisible in. He, he was, in fact, I thought him and Razork were the ones that had their issues in, in Fnatic at first, you know. The last sort of six to eight games, yeah, Fnatic's become really good. They're one of the better teams. He's had some good games. I don't get this at all. For me, Vethio's the clear number one. And I wouldn't even had your boy Larson number two. Like, I don't know what Larson's done wrong aside from be boring. That's it. Isn't that his problem? It's like my old boy Froggen's problem back in the day. He's just boring. He's just fun fucking creeps. Is that the problem? I'm not allowed. Like, he just finished number one in the split. He plays mid lane. He had like every single game was good. What does he have to do? For real, what does Larson have to do to just get his fucking credit? So come on, Audio, give me, give me. A, am I just off the reservation here? Have I gone off on one? Where are you at on this topic? No, I mean you're definitely kind of spot on. I mean, I, I feel like with a lot of these uh, awards, recency bias plays a huge yes. uh, factor in it. Because, for example, um, say I had incredible seven weeks and my last two weeks I go zero four and I'm sprinting it down every game then all of a sudden yeah I knew it he was bad all along right and it, that's kind of happened with uh with uh humanoid uh, as well I guess and there's also like the narratives the narratives play a big part in it because it's like oh yeah he just needed a couple of weeks to just click and now that he clicked he shows everyone that he's really good and all of this stuff and 
don't know. There's just like Rogue is a boring team narrative wise. I, I would say there's always like you know Fnatic, G2, prestigious orgs, uh, all of this, likable players, good personalities, and all of this stuff. And it's a lot easier to like. It's not even like a marketing thing, but it's easy to like market or like push these uh, uh, these narratives forward when your players are like likable, stand out, you know, and like yeah, realistically, no, no one's gonna remember that your first two or three weeks were were like bad, you know. Everyone's gonna be like, oh yeah, humanoid has been the best mid laner for like years now, and all of this stuff. And um, also, like when it's part of the broadcast team, it's kind of there in their own bubble you know it's it's, oh, it's, kind sure. of, it's kind of the same as uh, you know with uh with like i don't know scrims or like teams in scrims where uh realistically when you like scrim for a long time there's like the same group of like six seven eight people thinking together and brainstorming ideas and all of this stuff and at some point you just start recycling each other's thoughts into like different like uh ways but kind of like the same thoughts and then there's someone from the outside comes in is like when that bubble pops and someone from the outside is like, oh, you're wrong, look at this. And you're like, oh, that's actually accurate, you know? But, uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know. Lars and I, I think, deserved, like, uh, higher higher than uh, than that. And, yeah, I mean, the thing is for VTO, even if he wouldn't be, like, first all-pro team, I feel like even if he's second or third, there would be this um, this argument that there was, like, for me, I think, in spring last year where... I don't know if I, I think I was like second or third in all pro team, but I was still kind of like a uh, candidate for MVP because, um, yeah, the, the impact I had on Rogue was like massive and blah, 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 this narrative, you know? And uh, I mean, realistically, you can't really contest the impact that uh, Mecca, yeah. for, for Misfits, you know, even though he might not be the best mid in the league, you know, because uh, I think that uh, Larson and maybe Humanoid as well were like uh, better than him, but. Uh, it's easy for him to be like a standout, you know, when um, he's doing so much for the team. Put it this way, like Misfits oh. won 12 games. If people don't know, he was the player of the game award winner in 10 of them. Like, like what do <laughs> you want him to do at that point in time? Like, win all the games he loses. Like, what the fuck? You know, like, give me a break. Because here's well, the other thing, dude. I actually think for real, when I, because I know the people who are making these votes, they aren't idiots and they definitely do know League of Legends. So my problem is, listen, broadcast people, you nailed it. The problem is they are in their own world. They're doing things like they're taking a storyline from last split and last week and they're connecting it to a storyline this week. So unfortunately, I mean, the classic example people know of this is, even if there was splits where maybe Fnatic and G2 weren't the best, obviously it would be like, it's the old Kings. Matt, you know, they would they do the old classic. Like it's, like it's like if you're the fucking Rolling Stones, you're going to play Jumper Jack Flash at some point in time, no matter what you think of the song. Now, it's just a fucking really famous song and all your fans expect it, right? But my problem is this. I also think people are being really unfair because remember, this is only for the split. And it's only this split. That's what the point of it is. It's all LEC. But I think what people are doing is this, dude. Because Humanoid, it has to be this with him. Right? I don't think it's all. It's just recency, though. I think they're doing that thing where in their mind they're going, yeah, but Larson's going to choke in the playoffs, whereas Humanoid will be great. It's like, yeah, but that's not what the vote is. We're not saying who will be good in a week from now. Like, Aaron, that's a different discussion. Aaron Rodgers just won NFL MVP and then mega choked in the playoffs. So what do you want? Yeah. But I think, I think that's absolutely it. Like, what what baffles me about the number of, of humanoid votes is not that humanoid hasn't been doing well in the last few weeks. It's that the entire narrative about humanoid at the start of this split was that, 
oh, remember how he kind of slacked off sometimes early in the split on Mad Lions and like he was taught by Mad Lions to like save his energy for playoffs or like maybe take it a little easier early on and then, exactly. and then you know come come on stronger. And he did get stronger as the split went on. But it's just like we deleted that in, in our minds because here was the narrative, guys. And here's what here's how the narrative like pollutes your mind from a casting perspective is he, let's talk about the story coming into LEC. Everyone wanted Humanoid. Humanoid was one of, if not the most sought after mid laner in both NA and EU sure. in, in, you know, in the West, right? His, him leaving Mad Lions was a huge deal to a lot of teams. Now, Fnatic actually ends up with him. So not only, now you have this very high profile free agent that joins a team with a massive fan base and a lot of success in the league. And the expectation is absolutely enormous, right? Then he underperforms to start the split. Uh, that's, I don't think that's really an arguable point. It took a while for them to develop synergy, uh, with this new roster of players. Okay. And then they finally get it. And then all of a sudden all, you, you've been like edging this narrative the entire time. And then you just get to blow your load all over the broadcast. Cause it's like, Oh, it's finally happened. Yes. Yes. And then you just forget about all the kind of questionable shit that happened earlier on. Also, if Larson isn't going to win first team, all pro during the regular season, when the fuck is he going to win it, guys? Come on. Like, he Not has great. been the king of the regular season. Like, what is this? He was consistent throughout this entire split. <laughs> I mean, and yeah, VTO, we can talk about him as well. To, to your po point, Odomna, you, you might be able to argue that other mid laners are better. Certainly no mid laner is flashier. And like, I hate to say it, but Mega Akali comebacks from 10K gold are cooler than Larson playing Oriana. Yeah, that's, 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 that's <laughs> so, like, are we going to argue that that's the the best meta pick, uh, Akali? Probably not, right? Uh, are we going to argue that those games are more unique, more memorable? Has he had an outsized impact on the on the massive comeback wins that we've seen from Misfits a couple of times? Yes, I mean he's been crucial. By the way, so, I always concede that point. That's why I even said myself last was born. You have to understand. I do sort of know why back in the day, no fan could ever even allow the discussion is Expecky better than Froggen because realistically they were like, yeah, but look at this like triple kill from Expecky on Z, and then I am just sort of going like, yeah, but look, Froggen's up fifteen CS in lane. That's a hard matchup, you know, like that. that that's not as cool. Like, there's no fucking highlight clip of Laden. Like, I get it. It's not sexy, but at the end of the day, like, you are winning all the games. Like I said, I'd spin it the other way and just say that. What more does Larson have to do? Does he just have to low key actually be twice as good? Like, he won his team's even in first place. You know, back in the day when my boy Forgiven was playing, the reason he was never allowed the MVP, his team was never in first place. That's what they used to tell me on Duan. They were like, but Reckless's team is number one. So he, the best player on the best team wins MVP. Like, you're never allowed it if you're Larson, mate. So, look, like I said before, it doesn't matter what happens in playoffs. And obviously, hopefully, this time it fucking works, doesn't it? But these are regular season awards. They're not for the people who fucking fought it in and then just do cool shit in the playoffs against like Beckham. They're for the people who actually grind, who put a performance in every game of the split. There's another thing, by the way. I even agree with the principle. I know why people like expect sort of like phoned in games. Because if you are a guy who's on a world-class team, you are mainly only caring about, you know, let's just get it together for the playoffs and then be good in the playoffs. But... At the end of the day, like these are players like Vethio is a great example. Obviously, he's not even in the top team yet now. These are players who were trying their hardest every game. So you have to give them the credit if they are the best. Like they deserve it. Like Vethio earned it for my money. If he wins the MVP, absolutely deserved. And what can, how can you argue against it, you know? Yeah, I mean, I think people just need to accept that there's like, there's not like one thing. There's not only like one single thing that like matters when you judge that like someone is good. Because yeah, like, 
I mean, if I watch football, like for, for like, I'm a pleb when it comes to football. I just watch it and I'm like, oh, that looks flashy and cool, you know. So like, when someone does like a fucking bicycle kick or a scorpion kick or whatever, I'm like, holy shit, this guy's insane, you know. This guy's the best. But uh, you can't really make the argument that this guy just because he does a bicycle kick, he's better than the guy that like did like uh, has a hundred assists in the league or something, and he's like right, provides sure. setting up a striker for every single uh, goal, you know, and all of this stuff. And people just need to like accept that that. Even if you're boring or you play for CSD or like stuff like that, it's good. Like, I mean, yeah, maybe Larson can't do it, but maybe Vitio can't do like go for the same list that Larson does. You know, it's just like the, the problem is that there's not there's there's no one qualified to kind of make this like a definitive decision on like what's better. Agreed. You know? Yes. Yeah. For the purpose of this conversation, I will just agree that there's no one qualified. When you're not here, I just think it's me and Monty, but you know. <laughs> Obviously, in a general sense, being fair, yes, of course, no one is. I yeah, agree. but the it's thing a, is, you know, difficult situation. You know how it is. If you guys say something that like goes against the uh, against the wind, uh, you guys are just being haters. You know, oh, of so, course, uh, yes. Uh, or we don't know fighting. anything. You pick. Yeah, you pick. Or you pick the exactly. the the, <laughs> the dismissal grab bag. Could be that we know nothing about the game. Uh, could be that we're boomers. Dude, uh, could, be that, we're could be that we don't watch the games, which is always mysterious. Monty, you've definitely had this one. My favorite <laughs> of all time, because this is like. The the final place that the coward retreats to is you know the ones where they even eventually just like because you've just broken them they're just wrong like you've been right 10 times in a row you know when they just eventually try to get a claim that us criticizing like a tsm player for example, is why they then lost it's like well now i can't win at all like you've now built in like an unfalsifiable element where like it actually is my i'm like controlling reality using my mind like fucking doctor strange or thanos or something like fucking i wish that was the case motherfucker be a very different scene but in a lot of different ways but it ain't but i've got a question and to spin it back right here let's talk about something positive now or do i next i'll tell you something right you you know this storyline from last year one thing i was actually quite critical about rogue the squad was actually just that my boy vander eventually got kicked out and i actually thought like what the fuck like he seemed like you know he had like a nice little niche he built for himself and like always he'd earned his way back up the rankings he was in a good team again and so i remember at first when i saw trimby last year like there was some games i could see that he's got mechanics you know he's good but like i always thought he was a little bit hit and miss with handsome this year dude he has looked amazing what what has happened to this player it seems like he flourished this split and he's another player where he deserves all lec one of the rankings at least he's been great yeah i mean trimby as a guy he's more like um how to say maybe introvert you know so like uh, uh last year th there was a lot of uh chaos i guess so there was a lot of like disruption between like uh the squad um it was like one of those environments where, you know, if you win, you everyone's like best friends. And if you lose, then you kind of everyone just fucking hates each other. So I felt like it was a bit hard for him to thrive in that environment. And also it was his rookie year. So there was a lot of pressure coming into it for him. And, you know, maybe he like uh, underperformed in some uh, moments. And I feel like that's that's like fair and natural. You know, no one can hold that against him, uh, given how like things were around him. But I just feel like now... It's kind of the the environment that he kind of thrives in, I guess, where um, there's a lot more emphasis on, you know, the group and not like individuals. Like it used to be uh, last year, there's no, there's not like a lot of people, well, there's no people like pointing fingers at each other and be like, oh, you fucked up, oh, you're griefing, like it used to be, you know, last year. And I feel like now it's a lot, a lot, a lot easier for him to not have to deal with all of this bullshit and just, uh, you know, just play. Indeed. 
I was thinking more about the Larson thing too. And, and this goes into my next question about you guys, because what's so crazy to me about like Lar Larson kind of being shafted in this voting is that he had the, you know, he's basically destroyed every narrative that you can have about his level of play, right? Because he went from mage, the best, you know, the, the, the quintessential EU best mage player to Lucian aggro laner extraordinary last year. Now he's back in what you would consider his best meta, even though he was a perfectly good mid laner last year as well, very versatile, showed his versatility. Now he's back and he's playing with an entirely different, like reverse style of jungler to inspired. And he still can't even get respect for that. And he's just incredibly consistent over the split. So I, I'm curious from your perspective as well, not only Trimby, but the, the swap from inspired to Malrong is absolutely crazy. And like, I am shocked that you guys were able as a team to basically play around junglers who are the polar opposite of one another. Whereas like before it was a lot about enabling inspired like pathing and, and his ability to make creative plays and be in unexpected places on the map and get massive CS advantages over to his opponent. Whereas Malrong just like won't farm and will just play super aggro, take very weird jungle pathing in order to create dives in the early game. How did, First off, how did, why did you pick Malrong? Because that seems like really hard for you guys to adjust to based on what you were used to, uh, especially with Inspire coming off an MVP performance, right? And then how did you so quickly adapt to that? And like, it's just really impressive. I, I don't think I've ever seen anything quite like it in LOL. Um, well, I, I think going into offseason, there was not a lot of uh, options for EU junglers, if I'm not mistaken, because... Uh... A lot of things that I locked in Stone Razor was already like too fanatic, and uh, yeah, the, the talent pool was kind of shallow. Like now, you know, in hindsight, you can think that like uh, Syncroft was like a good fit or like a good jungler because he's been performing really well on uh, BDS, you know. But uh, I mean, yeah, back then you can't really uh, think much of it because yeah, I mean, he was in Origin, uh, the, the the doomed Origin squad, and he didn't really do well. And in ERLs, it's like. A lot of time, there's like a lot of hype around the RL players, and they're like, "Wow, K Corp is the best team in the league." And if they would be playing like any LEC team, they'd just get stomped, you know, because there's like a whole different league. It's easy to look good versus bad players, and it's a lot harder to look good versus like the best players in the league, you know. So honestly, we just felt like there was not really a lot of options in EU, and um, there was like this thing circulating that like some EU teams are also interested in Marang and. Rogue kind of just uh, pounced on on that idea, and yeah, I mean it worked out. And as for the second part of your question, um, I I, I think the shift was kind of um, not not really difficult because uh, in a way, even now we still play for for jungle for like what he wants to do, you know. And it's uh, yeah, yeah, I mean he just magically appears a lot more often next to our lanes than than our jungler last year, you know. So. <laughs> That's that's like a welcoming sight for us, you know. But uh, I don't know. I, I think in a way it just goes to show that like last year, um, we are we are very very good laners, me and Larson, uh, and we could facilitate uh, Inspire's playstyle very well. And this year, in a way, we have like a better opportunity to like play for our strengths, you know, as as good laners because jungler is also willing to facilitate that uh, a lot more and. Yeah, I mean, at the beginning, it was rough because obviously language barrier and all of this, it was actually really hard. We were getting stomped a lot at the beginning. 
and we just had to kind of develop systems, I guess, where it was like really easy to co communicate, you know, with just like broken English and all of this stuff and just kind of give him more freedom to do do like what he wants, you know, because like e even now we still wake up uh, with him like um, being somewhere, you know, that we don't like expect him to like we don't call him and sometimes he just does. Right. By, he just appears. <laughs> yeah, he just spawns there. But uh, I mean, for Larson, definitely it's a lot, a lot easier because um, like right now when he said like he's very vocal with what he wants from Marang and Marang always uh, helps him and does what he needs to kind of like facilitate him to do well. While last year for uh, for Larson was a lot, a lot harder because um, he would call and then he would have to wait for like specific timings where he could actually get this help, you know, and now... Yeah, I mean, I, I think he's a, he's a lot, a lot happier now, and he gets to showcase, uh, you know, his ability as a as a laner and as a mid laner with uh, a jungler like Marang that can, uh, yeah, pretty much just be his dog sometimes. How did you guys scout Marang? Uh, what was the process of like getting him on board? Um, I mean, it was mostly done by I think uh, the guys from the coaching side, like Freddy and even like Bloomy and Fly, like on top of that. Um. I didn't really have like a lot of input because I didn't really like uh, know much about it and like you know get to see a lot of his games because he was like sub and yeah he got some stage time in uh, in Dom one, but um, yeah I mean coaching staff did their uh, did their research on that a lot. When you saw in the off season those two rosters that were made where on paper Fnatic and Vitality like they are potentially super teams like you look at these squads you know and people would say like they should they should be the champions they should both be in the finals right with your team the perception was you've sold arguably the two best players Inspired and Hans Armour are out they're obviously very highly touted players they both they even left the region right when you had the lineup you got now so Malrang yeah maybe a bit more uncertain comp people sort of knew of but obviously just hadn't gone that great at Vitality. Is it a shock to you that the team could still finish the split in first place? And effectively, you were the best team in this split. I mean, I know some people are going to say they think like stylistically for that kids. The records is it's rogue. So what do you think about this like ability to rebuild the squad and then be number one still? Did you have any expectations like that yourself? I, I mean, <laughs> I could give you a PR answer, but I'm not going to give you that one. But uh, I mean... It must have been a bother when you heard those players were leaving, right? Part you must have thought, what the fuck? Like, that's it. Like, now we've just got an okay team, haven't I? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it was uh, it, it was a bit like uh, tilting or like infuriating because uh, I mean, you know, when you go into off season and like I talk to Rogan and like, yeah, here's your two year deal. This is the project we're gonna have. We have inspired on this many years, Hans on this many years, and all of this stuff. And then uh, one uh, one year later, you're like, see an earth, and I'm like, uh, you 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 feel you feel mugged <laughs> in a way, you know. I mean, obviously it's not on purpose. It's just like unfortunate, you know, because yeah, yeah. that's just circumstances. That's what happened. Um, also, by the way, just as an aside, just because it's a funny note, Rogue did make the mistake of when they signed Inspired that year, last year, to an extended contract. Instead of just saying, no, good news, we've got another contract, they phrased it, Monty, like, good news, he's going to be here for like three years. And I was like, I remember saying, like, it, uh, this could be mad, like, fucking inappropriate. If he isn't, <laughs> you know, that was that next split, he was gone. Like, what? Could, he, he'll he'll be here for three way. years as long as EG doesn't <laughs> pay us millions of dollars. Right, there you go. Okay, that was the asterisk. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> right. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I mean, when I, when, after I knew that he left or like he was leaving, and I, I I look at that tweet and he's like, he's not going anywhere. I was like, yeah, that was yeah. it. He's not going anywhere, guys. It was yeah, something bro. His friends are even at all. Uh, <laughs> That's they even just forgot to, they, they just forgot to add 
yeah. in yeah. in Europe after that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. It, it was really like, uh, I don't know, infuriating. But I mean, sometimes things just don't go like your way, and stuff like this happens. It's it's just how it is. Um, it's always yeah. sad when your teammates retire to America, isn't it? Otherwise, yeah, yeah. It's a bit of a sad moment, but uh, it's yeah. it's I mean, like it's like in uh, it's like in Lord of the Rings when the elves just like take those boats and just peace out of the continent and just you know there's a there's a glorious and righteous conflict going on on their own continent. They just exactly. fucking leave, and then Samwise Odoamne Ganges just left there like fuck. I helped everyone the whole time. I'm just on my own again. Bloody yeah. any <laughs> other quests going on? Any other hobbits? I'm just looking around. <laughs> The guy who obviously for me is like what you, in English you call it's like found money. It's like like if you just found a pile of money on the ground, you're like, what the fuck? Of course we picked that up. It has to be comp, right? Because he's the guy, dude. I remember when when he first came into LEC years ago. I think he came in in season ten, right? When he first came in LEC, I remember. I think it was actually Veteran when I did that show with him back in the day, telling me like this guy will be like one of the best ADCs in EU. But you saw in Vitality, it's like it wasn't even that he was bad. Just something about that squad. They had a bunch of different versions. People remember, and eventually, obviously, they replaced him with Crown Shot, like Cynic at the end of the like halfway into the split or whatever the fuck right if people would never believe now if they see the player who played this split that this guy was available to be picked up like that's ridiculous to me dude like he has been so clean this split like he was contender for best adc yeah i mean but but, but it's hard because it's like um in in a way you could say that you just flip a coin and someone just matches like the team and like the style that you want to play and he fits in like a glove you know and he does what he needs you know but then you look at like vitality and stuff, because in a way that situation was similar to what we had at Schalke when we were uh, when you we were like zero eight or like one and eight, whatever we were. Right. You're at the point where you're like you're just so so fucking bad that you're literally gonna start benching people left and right because just, just for the sake of doing something, right? That's what you're gonna do. Somewhere. I mean, it's, it's like you're <laughs> you're in in crisis management where you're like the house is on fire and you literally try to put it out the best way you can, and you're like. You practice with this roster so many times, and uh, you still suck. So let's try a new ADC, let's try academy support, let's try a new mill, let's try a new jungle. And for him, getting him getting benched from like Vitality is kind of like I feel like that same scenario where the house is on fire and uh, someone has to take the L to just to see maybe a miracle happens, you know. And uh, that's kind of like what, what what happened to them, I guess. I mean, with Crownshot, they started playing better. They almost made playoffs. And for us, that happened as well at Schalke when. Uh, we benched for when we benched Forgiven. Uh, Enax, like yeah, argue, like he's he's not like as good of a player as uh, Forgiven was, you know, like talent wise. But all of a sudden, he's just giving you what the team needs. So in a way, I feel like he's been unlucky since he was in that vitality scenario that uh, I guess devalued him. I mean, made people be like. Yeah, he's not as good. He got benched from Vitality. Because the thing is, no one's going to look at the games anymore and be like, oh, That's true. yeah, there's a glimmer yeah. of hope. Everyone's going to be like, oh, what happened? Oh, he got benched. Ah, there must be a reason he got benched. Mm, he must be bad. And that's usually like how how it goes with like stuff like this. So, I mean, in a way, like, you know, when, when Rogue made the signings of like Marang and, uh, and Comp, I wasn't really like, uh, oh my God, this is like the best thing ever, you know? Because, I mean... You're losing your number one ADC in the league, your number one jungler in the league, and it's like, no matter who you get, it's going to suck, you know? Even if you go from, like, uh, I don't know, the, the best ADC in the league to, like, third or fourth best ADC in the league, you're like, yeah, you're still downgraded, you know? So it's like, uh, it, it's just like, I feel like it was one of those situations where you can't, I mean, <coughs> you're, you're, op you're optimistic, you know, because 
uh, you you want to just do your job and play well and kind of prove to everyone that uh, you're not like a shit team and and all of this stuff. But the circumstances that you like put in is like you have to be realistic and be like, yeah, this is shit. But you have to do you have to fucking work hard. You know, Monty, Odoamne here is another victim of the Cursed Monkey Paw. I know it's, it's wrought a lot of havoc and damage across the esports scene. But basically, because I told him, you know, like my philosophy is different competing, Monty. I actually believe you should just go for individual excellence and that by default will have a knock-on effect that you will find success along the way because you try and be the best you can be, right? So the problem with that philosophy is the logic goes, if you just try and make the correct decisions, you will win games. Winning games will mean that you will be highly placed and highly placed means you will eventually win the title so what happened was because i told Odoane that's the way you become a great player he went and all he wished for in his little kindly little romanian heart is he just said i just want to win the most games in the lec for the next two years <laughs> and you know what yes he has won the most games in the lec for the last two years no one else is close the problem is bloody playoffs <laughs> should have said playoffs fuck i told him it's all yeah. when you ever make a, de a deal with the devil it's always in the exact fine print you got to get you got to get exact you know his lawyers are amazing i'm telling you they work with Bill Gates and everything so the question now is this order i'm now we have to have the discussion this is it's going to happen this time for rogue you're going to do it this is the team real. <laughs> i'm even going to tell you right now order i'm there i know i shouldn't do it i promised myself after last split that summer split never again but i'm gonna i'm i am gonna fall for it i'm gonna i'm actually gonna put i'm gonna say rogue wins this but i don't give the a raise listen i'm gonna eat that delicious razor cake like monty did so, every year so with the, katie rolster <laughs> oh no i'm the joke are you familiar with the razor cake no, I don't know that is a cake. Um, okay, joke. so the 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 metaphor the metaphor is this, Odo Amne. Uh, there's a cake that's given to you, and it just looks absolutely delicious, right? Perfect frosting. What's your favorite flavor of cake? Either like raspberry or like chocolate. Okay, so it's it's chocolate with raspberry jam. That's what it's told you. Okay, so yeah, you I take mean... you take a bite of this cake. And there's a razor blade in it and it cuts the fuck out of the inside of your mouth. Right. And you're like, yeah. holy shit, I would never trust this person to give me a cake again. And what's so amazing about the rogue razor cake is that it's different every time. So you think that <laughs> it, there aren't going to be razors. In it. And you're like, you're like, wow, this cake looks delicious. I, I love Larson control mage cake and you eat it and it just cuts the fuck out of you. Then you're like, wait, they changed their entire style. Uh, now they don't have early game problems. Surely this cake doesn't have razors in it this time. And it had a fuck ton of razors in it. And now they're like, oh, look how aggressive their jungler is. Odo Omne playing carries in the top lane. I love this. Larson doing great in lane. And then are there razors in it this time, Odo Omne? <laughs> is it safe to eat the cake finally, please? Uh, I mean, the thing is that no matter what I say here, <laughs> There's someone's gonna find a way to put the fucking razor in there. <laughs> True. True. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, I, I mean, I, I feel like it, it, it's it's hard to say because I, I think um, I mean I'm gonna pivot a bit, but I feel like uh, there's obviously this like rogue narrative that there's like uh, it's it's choke time and all of this stuff in playoffs. Uh, but I feel like it's a bit more complex than that because every single time it happens, it's like. Like, what happens is, like, I mean, a lot of things go through, like, ups and downs through, during the season. And the fact that, like, a split is, like, three months long kind of, like, exemplifies that um, you're good on one patch. Then the patch changes in the middle of the split. You become uh, bad, and then you become good, and then you become bad. And then it's like, oh, playoffs is here. Are you good on this patch or not? And 
sometimes, like for example, last year for us, it just happened that we are not the greatest on that patch. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, well, they were good in the whole of regular season and now playoffs is here and they're bad. So they must choke, you know? But in reality, it's just like, it's just a bad patch that uh, we weren't really like good enough to adapt to. And it wasn't really like playing to our, like, our strengths. Uh, uh, you also say something like you ended up in one of those scenarios where like the specific scrim partners you had like led you down a different meta path and you kind of got tricked yeah. more, right? Yeah, that happened, I think it was last year with G2 because I feel like both us and G2 lost the first round, sense. Uh, the first uh, yes. leg of like uh, uh, elimination bracket because uh, we were playing like tank stop and then the enemy side of the bracket was playing like Darius and all of this, uh, right. all of this like tank killers and stuff and then we were like, Oh, uh, looks like all of our picks for top are just all of a sudden useless. And we just need to whip something out of the bag or out of the hat really fast and just try to uh, salvage it, you know? And that's why we like kind of came back in, in a way like we still lost finals and yeah, that sucks. But uh, our performance after that loss was like a lot better just because, uh, you know, you get to explore the different sides of the bubble. And also, I think this happened with like, what was it? Immortal 17-1. They were like, really oh, yeah. The classic the really, really, top one, you mean? Yeah, they're like like yeah. that stuff worked for the whole season. It was yeah. really good, and all of a sudden, playoffs. There's a different patch, and all of the stuff on top is useless. So there's shit. Uh, and I feel like yeah, I mean, uh, when it happens multiple times, yeah, you can make uh, an argument that yeah, maybe it's 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 choke, you know. But I never really felt like it was choke uh, until now. It just felt like it was just like bad patch read and bad meta read, and you know, uh, it's just kind of like the that's kind of just the nature of uh, of the season, you know. It's like it doesn't matter what you do for like these four or five patches. All you need to do is be good on this patch, you know. Because even now, when uh, everyone's like solo on the vitality hype train, because yeah, they've disappointed and whatnot. But what if this patch is just good for them, and then all of a sudden they're just crushing everyone because uh, just the, good the patch, you know? Yeah, they, if they get the right patch, course. Yeah, like for like the individual talent <laughs> they have, it's like a good patch for them to all showcase their strengths, and all of a sudden they're the best team in the league, you know. And it's like. Yeah, that's just the nature of playoffs, and uh, uh, for us, it's like it doesn't really matter how good you are in the regular season. Now you know it's just how good you can read this one patch, because I mean everything else is useless before. It doesn't matter like your history and uh, whatnot, uh, how flexible you can be on on this patch. So with that with that in mind, I think we should discuss. So there's a there's a pretty big difference between the regions in terms of the time before playoffs, because as you're alluding to, uh, the more time there is before playoffs, uh, the more the patch changes. Because you guys haven't played a professional match since 12.4. Now you're going to be playing on 12.5, whereas, for example, the LCK, they ended their regular split on Sunday, and then they're going to be playing playoffs in like three days, right? They're playing on Wednesday, the first round of their playoffs. So they're going to be playing the same end of regular season as into the playoffs patch, whereas a lot could change for you. And just looking at LEC right now and looking at some of the picks, based on the power picks that we're seeing in places like Korea and China, um, and even and even LCS, like right now, there's been one Kaisa ban in LEC and zero Kaisa picks this split. Now, we have to believe that that's, that's going to change based on what we've seen in other regions. We've seen some Vex play, but it's 2 and 11. Seems like that's also a trend that is unlikely to continue, right? Um, so there are pretty major changes coming in overall. It, do you like the fact that you're going to have, you can experiment and watch the other regions and have this downtime before going to playoffs? Or would you rather like have a, like a shorter amount of time where you're playing on the same patch 
in regular season and then into playoffs. I, mean, I think it would have been a lot, a lot better to just have it uh, like a smooth transition. Like, I mean, m- maybe for LCK, three days is a bit uh, too little, uh, but then depends. Like, for example, if they played on Friday, the teams that are going to play uh, the first leg of playoffs, they have maybe five days. Of- but uh, yeah, that doesn't matter. It's I, I think having a shorter transition time uh, would be better because there's a lot of like weird stuff that's happening in in, in France right now. There's also these bubbles that are going on in the region, for example, um, it's really easy for us to look at LCK and be like, oh, Kaisa is uh, picked uh, frequently, uh, Fraker does it and this, and then you're just like, yeah, but this doesn't work here. People just play different stuff here in EU, so it's uh, like, okay, well, it doesn't really fit. So uh, having this this downtime doesn't really, I think, I don't know who it benefits, actually, because I, I feel like it's just, uh, it's just a fiesta, you know? It's just a battle royale between in these three weeks of what EU team all of a sudden whips out the the best uh, the best answers to, to the patch and to the meta, you know, there's... Because, for example, even now, the stuff that we're playing now compared to, like, a week ago is completely different because you, there's just so much free time that people are kind of going crazy and they're like, okay, what about this? Let's fi- find something new. Let's do this and do that. And uh, I, I feel like, in a way, it kind of cuts... Um, how to say you can over prepare, right? Yeah, you can kind of also over prepare because you're just brainstorming so many scenarios. While uh, if you just go from one week to another, it would be simpler. It's a smoother transition. You get to play on stage a best of five, and if you get stomped, then you're like, okay, this is why we lost, you know. While right now, if you have three weeks, uh, they're just too much downtime. Like I even got to go home for a week, which is uh, kind of fucking crazy, you know, and it's. <laughs> it kind of it kind of takes it out of you, you know. It, it's not really. I wouldn't say it's like the best thing or like normal, because I would have liked to just you know just keep it, keep being in there in the grind and all of this stuff. And uh, I mean, for sure, I would have enjoyed more LCK format where I just play playoffs the next week or in a couple of days. The danger I see is that when you are when you don't play on that same patch, the stuff that happens in scrims can be kind of crazy because people. People play differently in scrims, like they're more aggressive a lot of the time, or uh, it kind of creates a feedback loop at times where you think certain picks are better than they are so because they get all a- the Viego picks that you still get every <laughs> single fucking week and it loses like every bloody game, it feels like. So, that, by the way, this is where fans don't get it, right? That's where if you don't know what players are like, you'd just be like, they're all idiots who don't know picking. What that tells me is that pick is just shitted on scrims. Like, somehow that's just working for them and they just think it really is the best pick. But in practice, maybe people play differently with it, you know, in a real like uh, LCS slash LEC game. It has to be, right? It's kind of like what happened in the bubble because we were like, uh, last year we were playing Sion. We, were, we, we honestly got to the point where we felt like Sion was first pick or ban. Because it was just okay. that OP where you could just pick a tank and it's the biggest tank in the game and then no one can just kill you. And then we played the best of five and after the game one we were like, already this is really useless and it's such a waste of practice. Every single thing we did for like two weeks just completely goes out the drain because you just got a bad data from scrims and you're like, yeah, exactly. Fuck? Yeah, because like, you know, champions that require like a lot of kills can get them if people are playing very aggressively and then they're accelerated and they're useful at an earlier point in the game sometimes or, you know, all of these things happen in scrims. And so if you don't have real stage games to look at, sometimes what happens and I can imagine that this may cause upsets in the LEC playoffs is that it takes real stage games to 
figure out what that region's meta actually is and that different teams are going to prioritize like have different weights on different champions within that draft and somebody's going to be wrong inevitably right and it just seems like the variance goes up a lot when you actually have no on-stage games on that patch to take a look at by the way i actually want to ask you all do i because i feel like along those lines your team uh, i can also see why sometimes the regular split hasn't carried on into the playoffs as well though because another thing from talking to a lot of players over the last couple of years is they always cite your team as one of the best to scrim because they say you actually scrim the way you play in the stage games whereas like if people don't know there's a lot of other teams out there that don't like i don't know if people know this i think it was perks or someone was saying that like I th- didn't Perks say something like that? If, like, Fnatic wins the split, then, like, scrims mean nothing or something. That they just, like, in every fucking scrim. So, like, that isn't always the case. So, in this sense, it, I can imagine your team, it would be easy to form that trap sometimes. It looks like it works great in scrims. You're playing the game properly, but the other team maybe plays differently in a real match. Yeah, I mean, I can definitely see it as, as of an issue because um, since, I mean, you could say that we're playing the same way that we play in scrims as on stage, then we always feel like... Uh, the information we get is like reliable, you know, and there's also there's also a downside to this where if you're so reliant on the fact that you're getting all of this info that you feel like is correct, you might have or like we might have trouble adapting in the middle of the series where we're just like, okay, we need to you know like innovate when one could say maybe that our style is more like just do just do all of your homework and then just be prepped for uh, for the day, you know, and yeah, I mean. I, I can definitely see like that, but it's not like I feel like I feel like a lot of teams are playing different in scrims than on stage, and even even us, you know, there's I don't think there's uh, anyone who plays a hundred percent they do in scrims that they do on stage. Yeah, yeah, sure. I'm just meaning it's not as bad as like the old days when like XPK and that and Fnatic would just like play the scrim fucking hungover, just lose all the games and then just whip your ass like three zero on the weekend. And you were like, "What was the point of these scrims then? What was that doing?" Yeah, I think it was Rocket in 2015 or 16. I think the the one that had like Jankos and all the Polish boys. They were apparently like scrim gods, and everyone was like, "They're really insane," and they were like in an LEC or something. Ah, right. Yeah, yeah that, sure. that, that one, the boomer one. The old By the one. way, though, I actually had a take. I wanted to get Monty's take on this as well, because one thing I noticed during the split was when everything was going perfect and the team was undefeated, not just because it's rogue, but I also feel like another reason people kept waiting for sort of a penny to drop, as it were, Monty, and like the team to finally look human. It's because they just expected, like, that style Malran was playing looked really abusive. Like, he was definitely gambling on some of those fucking early ganks. Like, they, he was doing the ones where, like, if you just miss completely the gang, it's like, you're just behind so far, like, and your lane's just fucked. Like, but if you get it off, as you see, like, it's OP as fuck, you're just ahead, mega in the game. But the, I mean, problem, of... <laughs> the vibe was people kept thinking he's going to get figured out, right? So I want to know, what are your thoughts in this sense? I mean, some of my favorite ones, Odo Omne, are like, he'll, he'll like play Hecarim and then he'll, you know, he'll, he'll take like, he'll be on the bottom side of the map and then he'll like run to enemy Krugs on Hecarim and then just like appear behind their turret and then you turret dive them. And I'm like, who the fuck would think that this Hecarim would literally spend like 40 seconds running across the entire map to enemy Krugs and then like be behind the turret. Like his plays are kind of insane at times. It must um, be wild to set these plays up. How the fuck do you coordinate something like that? I mean, it's mostly his decision. I, I mean, in a way, yeah. I mean, you you could say that he does like all of this flip plays, but I mean, in reality, he, he in his mind, he still wants to like you know farm and full clear. It's just like he sees these random opportunities that are, are just there. It's not like you know. I mean, I wouldn't really say there's like so much of a flip. What he's he's doing. I mean, yeah, maybe there are some 
plays that he does that are flips, but not really yeah, like as much as uh, as people would say. It's just I don't know. I feel like I I don't think it's a f- I don't think it's a flip Odo Amne. I think that those plays are just very high risk, high reward because if yeah. he wastes all that time and you guys don't get the kill or like you die under turret, like you fuck up the dive, like it's devastating. Right? It's like some Hillasang shit. He just sees an open, he's going for it, yeah. right? I mean, I've I've been on the receiving end of, uh, I mean, I guess Marang, high risk, high reward play where, uh, yeah, I mean, there are times where if it fucks up, then, uh, yeah, it is, it it is quite, uh, quite doomed to to put it like that. But, uh, (laughs) (laughs) dude, because here's the thing, right? Normally people, I guarantee you, by the way, all fans are going to do that thing I said earlier about narratives. They're going to act like Rogue has been the exact same team for the last two years. And they're just going to go, you're going to choke in the playoffs. But you believe it or not, I'm going to go the other way. I actually think the way Malrang plays might help in the playoffs too. Because what I love about this guy is just a fucking Chad. He just goes for the players. He really is like a jungle hillersang. So, mate, in the playoffs, that could be really fucking good. If someone actually goes for decisive players when everyone else is like, you know how the playoffs always are. People start slow and then they're very careful and they don't want to int and the you know especially junglers mate like if anything the jungler can be too safe sometimes in playoffs so i like the guy the idea he's going for this shit you know you are gonna live and die by that but let's go for it like i'm all in Ding. I mean, what do you uh, think yeah i mean uh, th- this one with jungle hillisang is actually a good one i'm gonna use it from uh, from now on I didn't think of it like that but uh i mean yeah i mean i'm the one or like we're the one on the receiving end of uh you know the flip of a coin of like the high risk high reward uh you know coin that is gonna get tossed um but yeah, I mean, we are doing our best to make it so it lands more on the high reward kind of uh, uh, part. But uh, I mean, definitely, I, I think when uh, come playoffs and you have best of five on stage, uh, as you said, a lot of people are going to try to play slow, keep the game stable and all of this stuff. And uh, if our if our jungler is a, is a psycho and finds like all things like this, then definitely it's going to help in the, in the long run. Or also, it could also be that... Uh, he flips the coin and lands on uh, on the risky side for like three games in a row, and then he's just Indeed. lost. You know? Yes, <laughs> but uh, you must you mean... must you must love this though, because as as you said, like he he provides so much help to the solo lanes in particular, and you get to play Graves as your most played champion this year, and you get you get to get ahead. You, you don't have to just play Finally. tanks. You know, it, it was so dictated by like Inspired's like. No, please push this wave so that I can get optimal pathing, right? Or I need you to play back so that I can do this thing on the other side of the map. And now it feels more like Malrong is looking at the way your lane state is and making decisions based yeah. around that to sacrifice himself, uh, which yeah. I'm sure is much better for for you personally. <laughs> yeah, I mean the thing is though the way it was inspired, it was like it, it was really like stressful and hard because I had to. Because I had to always take into account my lane state and his jungle path and try to sync up for him to be when he is there that I make use of him being there for like 20 seconds. And it was like the, my only uh, gasp of air, you know, that I would get for like the next five minutes. So it was really like stressful to play because uh, I had my brain on fire the whole time to not miss that window where he can actually help me, you know, while uh, now it's it's like. If I made a critical mistake and my lane's on fire, uh, Marang will be there to kind of, you know, like put the fire out and be like, okay, I'm going to skip this camp and uh, waste time here because if I don't do it in the game, it's just like over from from like the mistake that you did, you know, while I didn't really get to have this luxury last year. So, uh, yeah, definitely a welcoming change. Um, I'm enjoying it a lot. Uh, 
And yeah, I mean, for me and Larson, just both feels for both of us, it feels like we can uh, we can play in a way that we like to as well. The problem is Monty. Like I got the vibe from Inspired that he plays like if people don't know, like I would tell people I play support only, right? But if obviously you have to put the second role, so I do jungle as the auto film, right? And then all I'll say is this: if I ever go jungle, I don't actually try to play jungle. All I do is I'm a triage surgeon, and I'm here to decide who gets to live and who dies. So what I do is this, right? I'm a prick. What I do is literally, if you're my top player, for example, if you just like int a couple of deaths early, like I just won't be coming to your lane ever again. I'll even type it here, like you just enjoy the rest of the game, build tank items game's over for you i'm fucking up with midland now i dude i got that vibe almost from expired like that's like what's like to play with him because look he is like a fucking path genius he's doing an amazing job farming his efficiency is insane if lanes all did do a fine job as you see last year it looks op as fuck but the problem is i remember i'm trying to remember if i've if i've got the champion wrong here but I, i'm sure i remember dude in playoffs there was a game where you had like a jace pick and you were like set up to have like a carry lane and it just went like slightly bad like a few minutes into the game and i just felt like inspired was like yeah forget that lane and he just like fucked off it's like he was never in your lane i was like this is his one chance to play the carry pick what the fuck and then everyone all the fans in all twitter it's like fucking Otto sucks man he should never be on carry get him on that fucking time nah get nah like fuck, nah give me a break man there must have been some of that going on what was going on you know it never felt like they really committed to you playing carries do they did it every now and then but like half-heartedly sometimes it felt like i mean the thing is uh it even happened like at worlds you go to worlds and there's this meta of like lucian j's top and it's like it's so difficult to play or like so weird to play because uh you know like chinese or korean top laners uh, they do stuff with their jungler 24 7 in those matchups because they're Absolutely, like yeah it's like high maintenance uh, matchup and I'm like yeah obviously I can't play these because I need to wait three minutes for the next 20 seconds to get help from my jungler and then he leaves and it's like if nothing if this doesn't go according to plan then my game is just ruined you know so it's like that's kind of one of the reasons why I didn't really like play those matchups or like people were giving me flack for not performing well in that because it's like like Every single moment in that lane, there's always a decision I have to make, keeping all of this in mind that the enemy jungler will come to me, enemy jungler, my jungler will path away from me and all of this stuff. And yeah, I mean, obviously you're going to get stomped, you know? <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, it was uh, it was rough. Um, I mean, I'm still struggling with that a bit. Uh, it's still one of the things that, uh, uh, I mean, I, I think I talked to you, Torin, about this, like, over the, our interviews or, like, over our uh, talks over the years that I'm always the kind of guy that's like, yeah, you guys, I ain't going to be fine. You guys can just do whatever you want and you guys just do your job and I'll do mine and then uh, everything's going to be great, you know? And um, with Marang, I feel like I can do that a bit more and it's still not at the level that it needs to be for like, you know, uh, be like world class or whatever. Um, but that just takes like a lot of effort from me to kind of change uh, my style or like be more demanding in like these sorts of like matchups, you know? Because I didn't really get to do it last year. So I need to try and do it this year. All I'm going to say is no pressure, but you have to remember, right? Think of some of my favorite players over the years. We had like Flame, never won the domestic championship. We had Frogger, uh, Frogger did win, Forgiven rather, never won the domestic championship. Lords of my favorite players never never got that chip, right? So I can't lie. Since Lords of them are retired now, I've sort of rolled over all those expectations and they're all on you now. And if you win, I actually might just like probably stand up like fucking Ozymandias and watch one and be like, I get it. And then I'll realize, well, oh, I didn't do anything actually. I'm just fucking watching a guy from Mania play League. Why am I even getting 
hyped on this, but it will feel satisfying if you win. Like, I think this is the time, mate. I told you, I'm a fool. I'm going all in again. I don't, I've never learned my lesson, apparently. I actually have, though, because like I said, I think actually those two differences are the key for me. One is I actually think the Malrad factor will be very interesting in the playoffs. I, like, obviously, I only saw Inspired play a few before. And then the other one to me is... Like I said, Trimby this year is not Trimby last year. Like, I'm very interested to see what he'll be like in the playoffs. If he plays like he did in the regular season, I think Rogue is actually underrated, dude. I think people are they're doing too much of last year's narrative and loading it into now. But here's the problem. That narrative doesn't even fit this regular split. How many times did Rogue in the regular split ever look bad? Almost never. Like, what, two games or something? Not even all the losses were bad. Like, mate, I think this team, this was one of the cleanest splits your team's ever had. I think it looked great. If I was on your team, I'd think we were going to win the championship. Why not? Yeah, but uh, I, think, yeah. I think people probably are looking at the last game you played against Fanatic in a best of one where you decided to give humanoid twisted fate and are judging, you know, that results as to how you would potentially match up against this team. But I just don't think I think Fanatic like returned to a lot of comfort picks in those games and especially for humanoid who was getting himself back on track. And I think you you guys gave up like the quintessential humanoid pick. That is also happens to be very strong in this meta. And I just don't see you guys getting like draft gap like that over a best of five. Yeah, I mean, definitely we gave him the, like his favorite pick and stuff. But uh, I mean, that game was still awesome game. I mean, it's just one of it was one of those cons that if you lose early game, you just lose. You know, it's it's not it's not like any like more complex than that. You just lost early game and you're comp doesn't have a lot of tools to make a comeback and that's it that's just like that's the life that's the nature of best of one sometimes you just you just flip it and you lose but uh i mean definitely in best of five is uh i mean it's a whole different game because every single best of five there's this bubble or like this meta that happens i i think even in like with misfits in our best of five last year all of a sudden, Camille became. Camille went from like red side fifth pick to blue side first pick, or by game right. five, and stuff like this will happen, you know. Yep. So I mean, yeah, I mean, you, you just we just lost against Fnatic, and <laughs> that just sucks. But <laughs> there's nothing more to it. Luckily, if you and Fnatic, though, make the final, I actually can't lose then, because either you were upset finally win, so there we go. It's Bro. like when the last CSGO made it, it had to be Nico Simple, one of them had to win the final, so <laughs> I'll take either side of that. Don't worry, I'll just be on upsets. Oh, I was always believed in you, mate. I always said you'd win as well. <laughs> All right. Fuck off, Otto. I'm ready. All right, man. <laughs> well, we do have to get some spice, because you guys got to pick your first-round opponents, and yep. you decided to pick Misfits, which... I think is pretty self-explanatory, but what what were your reasons behind picking Misfits? Um, I just felt like when we when you have to pick between Misfits and G two, it's a bit more hard or like a bit more difficult to prep against G two because um, I mean even even if you look at at, at their playstyles, Misfits is live or die by VTO, while on G two, um. There's at least three people that are that can take the game in their hands and and do really well, you know. So we felt like if we would have picked G two, there would be a lot more volatility in in the draft. There would be a lot more uncertainties that could happen over these like two weeks or three weeks of scrims. They would seem like the type of team that could pull up pull out something that is somewhat unexpected. While we felt like against Misfits, it would be a bit more straightforward. Uh, there wouldn't be a lot of a lot a lot of things to you know look out for. I mean, that's not to say that uh, 
you disrespect you know uh their top side or their bot lane uh, and whatnot but it's like for them the clear standout is vto and that's uh where most of their game plans go go through you know and also they had i think two or three wins that were uh Really big comeback. They caught some thralls. They definitely caught Fra- some thralls. Fraudulent. Fraudulent. Yes, exactly. I'll describe it like this, dude. It's not like it's their fault. They did when they had the opportunity presented. They did an amazing job. Yeah. They just never have should have had that opportunity. If you think of like the fucking they're, G2 game, for example, like, what the fuck? Yeah, their, their wins, uh, they reminded me a lot of Bad Lions versus Rogue Game 5 in the finals, where one team was like really, really far ahead. Do you remember this? Do you remember when this happened? And then one team throws that big lead, but the other team has to catch it. You know what I mean? Yes, exactly. Got it. <laughs> they caught <that> trophy. <laughs> they really caught it. But... <laughs> yeah, I mean, they had a couple of wins like this that were, uh, you know, fraudulent. And I feel like, I mean, it's the same for us, you know, it's like uh, we went 5-4, we lost to Astralis and SK that we felt like we shouldn't really lose, you know, uh, that was kind of like we threw it and they caught it again. And yeah, I mean, I didn't really feel like their uh, second part of the split was like that fantastic or their split overall was like super fantastic. I mean, definitely was a surprise that they ended up third, you know, I feel like I still don't know how they ended up there. It was kind of no. like a surprise. I, they kind of went under the radar of everyone and they just. Uh, got there and mad props to them but um, yeah overall I just felt like they had less threats to prepare for than G2 did and I feel like that's the most important thing in uh, in prepping like a best of five series that uh, you have as much predictable things going for you uh, than not oh I've got some spice for you Monty right I've told this story before oh do you have a detail about that match no very 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 yeah, go on. It's on that topic. Go another on. spicy question if you could have picked any team to play in the playoffs. So this includes XL and Vitality. Would you still have picked Misfits? Mm, maybe would have picked XL. But uh, yeah, I mean, it would have been about uh, uh, between XL and Misfits, I, w- I, w- I would say. Vitality, By the way, that, it's like, telling yeah, that you don't pick Vitality, though, because again, you just those players could just wake up tomorrow and be good, yeah, right? That's exactly. the problem. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, but here's the spice. So people might know. And in fact, Monty, the reason I did this in League is because in CSGO, this has worked like a motherfucker. If people don't know, in CSGO, the players I try to befriend and sort of give like mentorship to, they've all like won, like spoiler, they're like simple, like they're fucking the best players of all time. And spoiler, they weren't when I got with them. That's why I fucking picked these players, right? In League, like we're talking about the greatest players you've had in years, right? Like the best players in the region. So I tried it in League a couple of times, right? And people know the story. I've told it before on a show with him, Monty. Now, I did it with Perks once, where when Perks was in that world semi-final that year where they had Wadid and Yarnan, because he did so insane against fucking RNG, I sent him this, like, epic DM where it was like, you know, like, you know, just because they've got Korean names, don't think they can beat you, like, you're just as good as any of them, like, this is your moment, like, you could show that EU's better. I did this whole fucking, like, epic movie speech, <laughs> and obviously people know the story is, like, you want in the story, like, oh, and then he, did he win the game? Like, nah, 3 0 easily, shit on completely by rookie, and the joke is, like, it's fucked me, hasn't it? I did the same thing to Ordo, haven't they? <laughs> 
here, right? Which is, <laughs> when that group got drawn, obviously everyone was like, lol, it's the group of death, and FPX and Dan one, who were like the top two teams in the world. And then secondly, everyone was like, and definitely Rogue's not getting out because they're all chokers. So I messaged Oddo here, right? And I tried to do the same thing. I was like, this is your moment though, bro. Like, you, you, like your whole skill set is like withstanding the beating from the greatest top laners. You're going to face them all in this group. They don't even know who you are though, bro. Like you could like, you could like surprise them. You could be the X factor because this is what you've done the whole time. And then even though you're all going to think, oh, it worked out the thorn. You know, they got out, you know, the tiebreaker, they're in it. No, because if you remember those first games, Oddo was getting absolutely smashed. Like I was watching these games just going like, maybe I should stop sending these messages. I don't know if they're doing more harm than good here. Like I, I tried my best to, to hype you. I tried to yeah. give you the angle, you know. <laughs> yeah, you, you know, after one of those defeats, I, I actually, I got like one of these flashbacks, you know, it was like the tweet was like flashing before my eyes and I was like, nice storyline, bro. <laughs> Definitely work. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I appreciated the intent, but it kind of backfired. It, did, it didn't work, well, no. It didn't work. <laughs> uh, happens, I guess. But whatever, we'll try again. We'll try again this time. We'll try again. <laughs> The good news is, though, I will say, I have said this before on shows, so I'm pretty sure you wouldn't mind me saying. The one thing I'll say that did change, if you're a Rogue fan, this is good news, is if people know around this time last year was when we had the episode where we did, an, uh, maybe it was like in the summer, we had an episode with you, actually, where we were having this discussion, like, does Rogue choke? And if people don't know, all the Rogue players were sort of like, it's overblown, like, I don't, and Larson particularly, he's somebody who always denied, like, no, I didn't, like, it's not a bad game. He actually, himself, is totally open now to, like, trying to read material about performance and sports psychology and stuff. So don't, he, he sort of gets it, guys. And the reason that's very good news is normally when I have players I'm trying to advise, I, it takes some years just to acknowledge it, like just to sort of face the reality of like, oh, maybe there is something I could change about my mental. So actually, I think I think that's a very positive sign. It feels to me like he gets, like he has to sort of figure out how to be. Basically, he knows he, what he needs to do is what people like Humanoid does, which is in the big game, you've got to show up. You've got to be the star, you know. That's when you got to carry. Yeah, I mean, I think, when was it? It was in summer, I think, after we lost against, uh, I don't know if it was against Fnatic or something. I, I feel like something kind of, like, clicked in him, and he realized that there's some things that need to, like, change for, like, you know, both him and the team to, like, do better at Worlds. And I feel like he's a different person than uh, than he was, like, you know, at the beginning of spring. And I feel like now he's, like, more mature this year. That's why he's a lot more consistent and less flippy i mean he's a lot more vocal about the things that he wants and needs he's not really like a like a passenger on the bus he's a, he's a, he, sure. he, he's the driver now you know and i mean that's a that's a nice thing to to see because uh i mean a lot of people are just stuck up in their own ways and they never actually get to you know change or like yes. have this insight or like make this uh harsh realization that what they did so far was uh incredibly wrong and something needs to change you know and if anyone out there, by the way, still believes that narrative, like, ha, he is just a mage player. This guy was smurfing on FPX with fucking LeBlanc and Silas boys. Sit the fuck down. Like, they, that was like a fucking, that was the, that's the last thing you want to see. That guy could be really fucking good, mate. That guy could be a champion. Yeah, but, uh, I mean, I don't know, everyone has his preferences, you know? It's like, when, when there's, like, metas like this where you feel like control mages are the best, it kind of takes an extraordinary off-meta pick to cover, like, different play style to Absolutely, come in and yeah. be like be like okay i need to not play all my control mages because like when you have success so much success with like control mages why would you change 
Wh- has the org of Rogue itself made any changes for you guys? Because, you know, the org has been incredibly successful from a GMing perspective at putting together these rosters and maintaining the the win rate of the team in very different circumstances, like shout out to Fly and, oh, and your yeah. coaches who have done a, a great job on that front. But it seems like, have they changed anything about the way you guys do playoffs or gotten you sports psychologists or anything since Worlds? Like, did they take a different approach as an org this year at all, do you feel? Yeah, I mean, we added the, we had the seal to our coaching staff, and I feel like um, his approach was pretty good so far for, for us this, this season because um, what we felt like we missed last year, we didn't really have a lot of good habits. Um, a lot of our, you know, planning or, like, game style was, like, kind of flippy from, you know, this situation to the next one. There was not a lot of uh, structure, like, a, a solid foundation for us. And when playoffs comes and there's a lot of stress, that's when you kind of forget everything. And we didn't really have like a foundation to fall back on. And that's why we lost so many times in playoffs last year. And I feel like now um, everyone was quite aware of uh, what uh, what hindered us in uh, last year's playoffs. And they... What was it? I what mean, do you think the problems were? Um... I mean, one thing he said was like, you know, the idea that they couldn't adapt mid-series if they sure. had an idea in their mind from I mean, there practice. Was, there was that. We were quite uh, one-dimensional with the champions we were playing and stuff. It was all about Inspired and all of this stuff. And I just felt like th- that's why you even saw like Rogue Time. There was the meme with Rogue Time from 20 to 25 minutes. You're thinking all the head and after five minutes, you're even. And um, that's kind of like a perfect example of what we are missing. We... We're going into 20 minutes, we're like, holy shit, we're in the same situation we've been a hundred times, just as fed, but we still have no idea what to do. So what do we right. do, guys? And so the call like, is a bit questionable. I mean, the problem is that we are getting into these situations that were really stressful, and we are like, no habits prepped, or like, okay, this is the, what we want to do in mid-game, we've done this a million times, we can just do this again, and everyone can just do it with their eyes closed, even when there's a lot of stress. Every situation we would end up in last year would be would feel like a brand new situation that we've never been in, just because we never actually developed this uh, foundation. Because um, the majority of the group felt like we need to be this sort of like creative team, because that's how you become good when you break the rules and you know how to break the rules and all of this stuff. And that's what's gonna make you a great team. And I was like, okay, actually we can do this, but at the same time we don't know the fucking rules. So what are we breaking? You know. It's like, I always believe that like you needed a solid foundation to be able to break it whenever you want to. Yes. And we didn't really have that. So that's why there was rogue time. We didn't have the foundation that when we're stressed and, and whatnot, that we're just like, okay, this is easy. We've done this so many times. We can just do it again now and it's fine. That's why like this year, our games are a lot cleaner from 20 to 25 minutes. So like in the mid game, just because... Uh, even though there's stress and stuff, people just know what to do. There's no, there's no, no, there's not a brand new situation that you've never seen before in your life. Well, also, I think it's pretty easy to tell that what you're saying isn't bullshit, Odoamne, because the introduction of objective bounties this year, if you guys were still having rogue time, it would be really obvious. Because if you had those leads and then did what you did last year, it would it would turn out even worse than it yeah. did last year. Uh, <laughs> uh, so the fact that you guys aren't just like 
allowing these mega comebacks with the bounties is kind of proof of what you're saying, that your your ability to close and capitalize and properly snowball your advantages has been going much better. Basically, yeah. like, let's be real. Normally, Monty, if you have the lead and you're a good team, you're supposed to be like, right, what are we going to do to these guys? They were just going like... For everyone knows, that's the thinking time on like American game shows, famously like that. Jeopardy, it's a Jeopardy thing. That's the classic one where they think like that's that's what it's like. It's like how are they going to find a way to throw this game? Right. Well, well, didn't figure out that one. That's amazing. Yeah. What's another factor though, dude? That I want to put to you, which is this. People also, I think, are slightly unfair in the sense that, like, look, I do think that, like, the Fnatic one was a egregious show. Obviously, it wasn't, like, fucking, it wasn't, like, you had no chance. But that, that one, I thought you should have won. The problem I have is this. Another factor that I think that was a problem for your team last year was Mad Lions had the opposite quality. Like, they were the ones that would just sort of, like, chill in the fucking regular split. And then in every playoffs, they just went, like, supernova clutch mode. And they always knew what to do in the mid-game. It's like you had exactly, like, the polar opposite opponent. It was like some anime shit where they have, like, exactly the opposite skill set to you. Well, I have to say, dude, there isn't a misfit, a Mad Lions now. There's no team right now that's super-duper, like, god-tier macro in LAC. That, that team doesn't exist as far as I can tell. Like, I think the I think the field's a lot more open in that sense. You know, it's not like there's a final boss like G2 years ago, Mad Lions now. I, I feel like now just the team that's always better will just win. Yeah, I mean, that's what I feel as well. Um, even last year, I mean, I mean, yeah, you're right. The thing with Mad Lions, it always felt like they are just really, really clutch. And honestly, the fact that they were uh, getting Goomba stomped, they were like 10k gold behind and then... They're just like laughing super hard and not really giving a shit. It well, was quiet. <laughs> I mean, that, that does a lot to like your mental, you know, because I would look at them and be like, and, and try to compare to how we are, how we were last year with Rogue when we were thinking all behind. I was like, holy shit, these guys are not murdering each other, you know? And it, it does wonders in a best of five series when uh, you're able to not let the stress get to you like that. Uh, and, yeah, but, yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, now it feels like. Mad Lance is not here, and their uh, mojo is gone. And yeah, I mean, as you said, I think it's all up and all out in the open now. Where whoever plays better will uh, will win. Because I feel like all six teams uh, are fairly, you know, on even playing ground, and everyone can just show up on yeah, yeah, like something out of their uh, out of their party hat. You know, Monty, when we had Mac, the coach of Mad Lions, obviously two-time LEC champion, congrats, great work. When we had him on the show, he always stressed, and he always does in interviews, how much he cares about his players' mental health, and that he doesn't want people burning out. I think he's gone too far, though. He's just given them the whole playoffs off this split money. That seems too much. Seems you too know, much. the best uh, the best way to prevent player burnout, Thorin, uh, if okay. you didn't know, is if, Play you the game, just, right? if you just don't go to playoffs <laughs> or Worlds or MSI, sure. you actually... You, yeah. you only play like six months out of the year. So that's the ultimate that's that's the, the ultimate way to save your players. You can't ever have that fucking post MSI nerf if you don't go to MSI. <laughs> he's a fucking he's two hundred acute it. Props. Yeah, well done. <laughs> oh man. By the way though, you touched on it earlier though. Even though fans are doing that thing, because another thing fans do, by the way, which is how you know they haven't actually worked in the industry of esports, is like in CSGO, my native game, where everything's a tournament, I don't personally treat like how people play the team's form at the beginning of the tournament as though it's like a status, like that's just how good they are, and you know, that's how they're good they're going to do. What I do is I expect good teams, like have a ropey game against an underdog and then just sort of sneak through that game, then get to, and I expect like good teams to get better and better and better as the tournament goes on, and then I expect them, if they're good, to be like, 
best form at the end. So I've noticed fans tend to, especially in the way the LEC format works, they tend to just think of whatever last week's results were, basically. So I get the vibe, actually, dude, that most fans actually do think it's hilarious that Vitality is like the sixth team right now and they have the whole gauntlet. And they all think that there's no world there winning. Dude, I guarantee if I brought on a whole bunch of pro players, now I don't know, I don't, maybe they wouldn't publicly say it privately. If I asked all the pros in the playoffs, I bet loads of them think there's like a world where Vitality actually does way better than you expect. Like, they really could do some damage here if the right, as you said, right meta, the right player wakes up. Like, that's not really a sixth place team, surely. Yeah, I mean, definitely not. I mean, I mean that also, I feel like, kind of goes to show that a lot of the, of the regular split is just kind of useless. It's just so long. And I, I, I don't know, because it's like you could make an argument that there's like teams from like the beginning of the split are just completely different teams at the end of the split. And um, yeah, it just goes to show that if you're good on the on the playoffs, then that's all that matters. And it, it, it's kind of like weird or like, I mean, in a way you get rewarded for like being so good in the regular season, you get seeding and you get side selection and you get to pick, uh, to pick who you want. But uh, yeah, at the same time, it's like, doesn't it's also on a patch you've never played professionally, so who? Like yeah, I said I mean, earlier, it's a difficult. You you could you could actually select the accidentally select the team that's going to be best on the next patch yeah. and just have no yeah, fucking clue. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And uh, that's How hilarious would be if they did the switch, Monty, right after you picked. Like you picked, like ah, oh, take a G two, and then they just make like all of like Targamas' champions OP or something. Like what? Like yeah, not being fair as fuck, wouldn't it? <laughs> That is Riot Games, though. That's just Riot Games, mate. I mean, I would love if it would be like CSGO format. If League would be like CSGO format, like it was back in the day, it would be it would be absolutely insane. Oh, it'd be epic. People don't I even mean, know, dude. They don't even know. Like, If people think Caps is famous now, imagine if you'd had like three or four years of him having like tournaments every month or so where he could show like people like Simple and Equal where they just show they're like epic. Dude, he would be he would be like as, as big as Faker in League now. I'm, that, obviously not for the Asian people, but like he would be such an enormous name right now. It would be insane. Because yeah. he would have racked up MVPs, players. He'd have all the champions. Oh, it'd be incredible, mate. It'd be so sick. So sick. I mean, at least we could maybe have some Europe versus NA best of series. I think we've had one EU versus NA best of five in the last three years. It was the Fnatic Cloud Nine one, right? Oh no, that was yeah. that was that was twenty eighteen. So let me think. It no, was I think we've had one. It's it's been it's been this like oh, yeah, the epic team that versus uh, G two. That was it. Yeah, that was it. Yep. That was the only one. Yeah. Yep. Because I'm so for that. I want to see that one time. By the way, it even could have happened this time in theory. Like, can we never just have it where, like, Cloud9 plays against fucking Mad Lions or some other worlds? Like, that's what we want. We all want that matchup, don't we? Like a Master East versus Europe versus America <laughs> matchup or whatever. Uh, it, it's just crazy to me that we just never get to see certain matches uh, because of the formats and the few number of international tournaments. And now that Rift Rivals is, like, gone, I guess? They never really made an announcement that it was going away forever, but I guess it's just gone forever now who the fuck knows right um not that it was a great tournament in the first place or teams took it seriously because they didn't and it wasn't uh but i do i do think that it is pretty sad for western league of legends fans that in you, know, you could have literally started watching league of legends three years ago and just seen that one in your entire life just seen one na versus eu best of five it's pretty sad it's kind of a shame So yeah, I I mean I I hope that some of these these tournament formats change uh, would be would be nice would be nice 
it, you know, here, here's a different, there's tons of different ways you could do this, by the way. You could basically just decouple uh, LEC and LCS and send half the teams of LEC to LCS and then half the LCS teams to LEC for a split and then reverse them and send them to the opposite location, right? Or reshuffle them. There's certainly the possibility to do that would be, I think, pretty interesting to have that. So at least you got some level of mix up, which Western region is has the better pool of teams potentially. Um, that could be really fun. At least we I've got an I idea. Think it would make both mo more dynamic. If you want to have a format addition that doesn't ruin the current circuit, but just add something where you have international competition, here's what you do. You get a, an aircraft carrier and you put it exactly equidistant between Europe and North America in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean. And you put on it two sets of PCs facing each other. And what you do is under each seat, there's a trap door. And whoever loses the game, trap doors into the ocean and they have to to swim to their continent and then the, the tanker thing leaves and you know what would be the <laughs> some banger? fucking sticks for you right there yeah. there you go and the banger would be you do all of this and it's the best of one <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, yeah exactly it's just a bo one it lasts 30 minutes and then at the end yeah i don't know they all just eat chili peppers and drink milk or something monty i, I can't believe i didn't bring that up earlier by the way did you watch that part of that show i thought i remember i was i was doing a watch party during it man i was mild and i was like why are we doing like jackass light shit on the lcs podcast? are they gonna put like rat raz's nuts in a fucking box and have a tarantula in there what are you what's going on here this is mental what what even is this segment what was he eating like a spicy pepper or something what yeah, was it, like yeah. Pepper off? yeah to to be fair raz's <laughs> nuts in a tarantula box would be very entertaining she sounds better <laughs> I, I too quick didn't i should have made it shit yeah exactly <laughs> but i think i think the problem thorn is like eat spicy things and talk is like something that the internet I I mean, this is just classic L LCS production, right? It's like, it's take like some an idea shit. that was done like eight years bring ago. Me bring me that. My, my grandson showed me this uh, guy eating hot wings. The hot ones video. <laughs> we should eat hot wings on our broadcast. Like, oh, is that what you took from that? Like, you idiot. That's just fucking someone else's idea, isn't it? <laughs> I, I so I did think it was funny that it was like some boomer was like, "Hey guys, have you seen this hot ones? This thing called hot ones?" And they're like, "Yeah." And then they're just like, well, "Let's do it," but change it slightly. That's the other thing as well. It's not even creative. Like if you want to get creative, get your fucking pencil out now, LCS. These ideas are fire for you. These are gold for you. Here's an idea right now. You don't have Razi to habanero. You take Korean players like fucking Summit who have no experience in the West, and what you do is you make them do a blind taste test but everything's like marmite and shit mate that will be fucking comedy gold right now imagine a korean monster who's never eaten marmite and it just and what because i hate the flavor like i can't even imagine like i might even just rip the thing off and just leave the room like, I would be, that would be so hilarious whatever his reaction would be you know similar that just pick a whole load of fucked up western food get him like a corn dog or something like all sorts of that trash that you've never eat of choice and then <laughs> and then you force them to compare it to a player in lcs oh there we go there, there it go. is. Exactly. Genius. Tied it all together. <laughs> it's almost like you, you could have been an LCS if you'd have played your career right, Monty. <laughs> wow. Yeah. You know, if, when I was casting in Korea, I was like, you know what my ambition is? To go cast the fourth best league instead of the best one. That was, I was like, this is, this truly is going to satisfy me at an intellectual level would be to just downgrade myself like that. By the way, I'll also just say this, just because if people don't know it, it's true. I also think if Odo Amne does win with Rogue, 
I'm pretty sure you are the player that played in a domestic region that will be the player who played the longest without winning, and then you finally will have won the shot. I like you'll actually have the record. Score? Does sure. he beat score? Ah, uh, let me score think. Score took actually. a long time. He won in season eight, though. Oddo's yeah. been in the league since season five, I think. Yeah, I think it was season five, right? Yeah. Yeah, was it score's been, score's score, been there actually. since the beginning of. I think Korea. you were even. Were you, were you there from 2014? Uh, no, it has to be 2015, I think, right? Yeah, yeah. My first split was uh, spring 2015. Yeah, there we go. Right, that's still that's pretty good. Let me think. Yeah, it's nine years. Yeah, score was there in like yeah. 2011, though. So there was no else, there was no fucking OGN then. Well, it was he started in 2012 in the when OGN started though. So right, so that's six years. Nine beat six. <laughs> there you Don't go. argue with that, Matt. He wins. <laughs> it's all right. We won in the end. <laughs> Oh, so, yeah. I just lose, and I'm and I'm the longest player in EU that still hasn't won anything. By the way, I've got a personal request though. You won't do it, so I'll say it as a joke on this show. And it can just be a fucking we can all ha ha, and then forget about it, right? All I want you to do is, if you win, just do a heartfelt tweet where you thank Comp for being a really great Greek AD carry and a great teammate as well. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you don't have to do it. I'm a cunt. You have to understand. I understand I'm a cunt, but not everyone else is. But. I just, uh, be, I just think it would be funny and you might get a nice DM. Possibly a not nice DM also. Maybe. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I already have my... Uh, I, have a I have a tweet. Oh, come on. Okay, oh, come on. All right. I like this. Come yeah. on. There we go. <laughs> I haven't ready, but uh, let's see if it materializes. Yeah. No, no, absolutely right. Keep it to yourself. Then if you do, well, well, I'm going to win. It's going to be a banger. It's going to be a banger. Watch the Twitter if he wins. It's going to be the shit, I guarantee. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Playoff predictions before you go, Odo Amne. Uh, obviously, Rogue, Rogue going to easily walk through these playoffs. Do you think Vitality can get their shit together, though? Because they've been extremely disappointing. I think it's really telling that if you look at the all pro voting, it's like, this was supposed to be a super team and in all pro yeah. voting, nobody votes for fucking any of these guys, like none of them. Yeah. Uh, so is, is this the, the moment where their veteran status, their ability to ramp up into the playoffs finally just carries them through and they have, or do they just get smashed by Excel? I mean, I think they should beat Excel even if they don't have their shit together. Uh, question is, how are they going to do like, further on and yeah i mean obviously like i i screamed them i screamed the eu playoffs teams and now it's more of a question like i i kind of know what they're capable of but are they able to do it on stage because it's kind of been like the narrative this whole split to them where they're like yeah they're all really insane but on stage they play bad so uh yeah now that's the question that uh i ask myself or like most people ask themselves uh are they gonna get their shit together or are they gonna play good on stage and uh I would say that, yeah, I mean, against Excel, they should win against Excel. Just later down the road against, like, G2, Fnatic, Misfits, us, are they going to, like, do super good? And I don't know. What are the, what are the odds you think G2 upsets Fnatic? Uh, I wouldn't say it's, like, a, a fantasy, definitely. I feel like... That matchup is a, a lot more even than uh, people might think. Um, Are they another team in scrims that are supposed to be pretty good, G2? Yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, definitely. Like, G2 and Vitality are, like, really, really good in scrims. And um, they've been, like, good in scrims for, like, the whole year, you know? And it's just, like, their, their games on stage are not really, like, uh, you know, like, the greatest. Um, 
But yeah, that's the thing. Scrims don't really mean much in certain scenarios. But yeah, I mean, I I, I would think that G2 can take it from, from Fnatic because it's also like the polar opposite. G2 looks, as you say, looks fine in scrims. And then Perk says that Fnatic looks bad in scrims. And you're like, well, um, yeah, what now? <laughs> I mean, it's easy to say, yeah, G2 better than Fnatic because Fnatic looks bad in scrims. But uh, at the same time, it's like... Uh, some yeah, people yeah. might just not care or like the magic doesn't happen on that day. But I I still think that G2 can take uh, Fnatic or like I would say that G2 takes Fnatic. That's that's bold. He, I mean, I, I don't know. It's based off of like the info I have from like playing both teams, you know? <laughs> so it's like, it, it, it's, it kind of goes back all the way to like the thing. Uh, oh, you think a champion is good in scrims? Oh, you picked it on stage. Oh, you lost versus Z. Well, you're a, you're stupid. You're an idiot for picking this champion. <laughs> yes. Even though you had exactly. all of this information available to you and you made the best decision on the moment, you are still yes. stupid. And then that's the thing. Like, if if now Fnatic wins, I'm going to be like, oh, how dare you pick G2 over Fnatic? Oh, no, that's not the end of the world if you lose that game, mate. You better not. <laughs> for that, exactly that reason. Yeah, yeah. But, um, yeah, I, I don't know. It's just like, in two, three, or like in three weeks, there's a lot of stuff happening in scrims in EU. So uh, teams that were good might not be good, and teams that were bad are suddenly like the best, um, just because there's like a lot of time to prep. So yeah, I mean, everything's up in the air, you know. I feel like everything's going to be really, really close. All of the predictions, I said, even like Vitality over Excel and G2 over Fnatic, I think all of the games are going to be like close. You know, I don't see, I don't really see 3-0 stomps, kind of. Like What's right going now. on with top lane in Europe, by the way, dude? Because if you look at this split, it looks like top lane as a role has really like fallen off in terms of how like strong the players are considered. Like, think about this, right? Right, people would argue Wonder obviously had a better split because everyone thought he was bad in G two because he had the bad year. But even then, he clearly wasn't like the best player or whatever. Alfari, as usual, was a great laner, but some people think he wasn't as good outside of lane. And Vitality obviously wasn't that great. Here, it actually looked like he had a terrible fucking split most of the time, starting to get it together towards the end. Broken Blade was actually probably like sleeper, pretty good on G two. I'd say I don't think it's all much bad from him. But there hasn't been sort of like it's one of the reasons why I think Loki actually like I can see where you're in position to get a good LEC. Uh, of LEC slash position like you've just kind of been like a consistent player and they haven't really been like the super carries who take over the league it feels like from top lane what do you think's going on with the role in Europe at the moment uh, I don't know I mean I think if you look at the teams in you only G2 is the sort of team that um, would actively play to top and could consider it as a carry position while um, I think literally every other team would consider top lane as uh just be there and don't end. And I feel like that's... I, I, I don't know, for like my position, I feel like that's a mistake because I feel like top lane is such a such an impactful lane. And it's kind of a shame that uh, me or like most of like top laners get to be shoved into this uh, role. Because it's literally like... It's... Uh, when you're top laner, it's literally you against your whole team plus coaching staff into trying to argue while your role is good. And you're literally 1v9 at arguing... Hey guys, my role is actually good. You guys just need to believe me. And then, and then there's like nine people who be like, "No, play for us, play for us," and all of this stuff. And I don't know. I feel like outside of G two, G two is the only lane that uh, only thing that plays to top and considers top as a strength, and that's really like nice to see. And I feel like Broken Blade is doing a good job at that, and he's like you know uh, in a role that he can do a lot, and he's flourishing, you know. And I feel like that's one of the main reasons why top lane is uh, is useless in the sense that a lot of times there's like new new like uh rosters 
and a lot of time it's just like people expect from top lane to just be stable so my narrative come the narrative for me into this split was like listen that's what my coaching staff said to me listen last year your weak side machine all of this stuff blah 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 blah. now we have new bot lane new jungler we just need you to hang in there while we fix our shit on the of other course. side of the map yes, and of your course. time will come and then I'm sitting here with my like my cane already old, and I'm like, "Is the time yet?" And, and then they're like, and they're like, just, here's, just here's a some while longer. Here's some orn for you." Exactly. <laughs> Basically, all I'm is that meme where it's like the skeleton. It's like waiting for till till it's time, my time to carry finally. Like, <laughs> yeah, and I'm like, "Is the time?" Nope. <laughs> Maybe next week. But yeah, I feel like that's kind of the mentality. That, I mean, that's kind of the mentality for top lane in you, and I feel like that's uh, that's a problem with why the the role maybe or like the overall strength of of like the top laners is not really like as good as uh, maybe like LCK or LPL because I mean, even LCS puts more of an emphasis on yeah, yeah, yeah. they do like yeah. you guys. You guys are like in the dumpster in terms of carry like willingness to play carry top lane as a region because it's it's yeah. very prominent in in all the other regions. Most of the LCS games last night was just like top lane getting a lead and that was what they played through. Yeah, and that's also a thing where like it's like people can argue for me that yeah he's not good at getting like even if he, even if Rogue puts him on carries he's not gonna do anything with this lead and I'm like. Yeah, no shit, bro. I'm in this position where uh, you have to play with minimal resources. When you get shoved into a, into a position where you're like, you have all the power, control everything. You're like, well, you're just not used to it. So it's obviously uh, you're not going to do everything like optimally. And when like LCK and LPL, just their top, their top players can play like, you know, like animals and do a lot and uh, literally have fiestas and brawls and skirmishes 24-7. It's like, yeah, I mean, they're going to be better than you because... They're just more accustomed to that environment, while in you is like, don't die. Your job is like, don't die to ganks. Uh, try to push and heralds up. Uh, get CS lead, and it's literally uh, that's the that's the reason why uh, I don't know. Regions not really like the greatest in terms of like top lane pool because um, I don't know. Like let's say you even get one game where you're like, okay. Uh, this game you can play this matchup and you can play like a complete cycle. The first game you can play like a complete cycle in like two weeks, and you and you botch it, you know. And they're like, "Yeah, yeah. see, that's why you play tanks." And I'm like, <laughs> okay, well, uh, yeah, no, it, it was a nice try. See you guys in uh, see you guys next time. Exactly, see you in two weeks. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I mean, that that's kind of like the 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 meta that is for like top players in you, and that's why we're we're uh, I mean. <laughs> We're, we're kind of shit. I mean, it's it's sad because like I feel like I I could do really well in like such an environment, but it's just like I don't have the practice or like the, um, you know, environment around me to to do stuff like that. I mean, to be fair, two out of your top three most played champs this split have been Graves and Jace, so it's not like you've been in a total drought. Yeah, but it's it's like when you see like LCKJs or LPLJs and they have like a matchup that they can take away, take over the game, they will take over the game. While for you, it's like, oh, you have Jason Graves, you are 10 CS ahead, you're doing a wonderful job, Mr. Top Laner, <laughs> keep doing that. And I'm like, okay, well, I'm doing my job. I mean, I could be wrong, but I, that's kind of like my perception of uh, top lane role in EU. I will say in, in LCK recently and 
LPL. Like it has been much more of the mid laners playing for the side lanes and pushing their those side lane advantages rather and sacrificing their own lane a lot of the time in order to get that done rather than just kind of not touching top. Yeah, I mean, I did see a lot of uh, these scenarios where there's like, I mean, when it was TF meta or Rise meta, they drop away from it to secure three-way stop and stuff like this. And uh, um, yeah, I feel like that's not really like happening in you so much because everyone just likes, everyone, everyone likes to win individually. Everyone loves to win and get those shiny CSD numbers, you know? And uh, yeah, I mean, I, I did notice that and I think it's like good play style, but uh, maybe, maybe we'll get there <laughs> one day. All right, who's going to face, as a final question, who's going to face you in the finals? Us in the finals? Oh, man. Like, I wanted to say Fnatic, but then I remember that I said the G2 beats Fnatic. Hey, now you I got know. a lower bracket. That's bracket, totally though. fair. Yeah. Cool. Cool. Okay. <laughs> okay, it's, it's Stoke Fnatic through the lower yeah. bracket run. I, there I guess that, that That's my, my, my final prediction, I guess. <laughs> Seems legit. That could, I, I feel like that is a, that is a very... Po like you know i wouldn't say probable because no outcome is probable when we haven't seen any you know <laughs> yeah. there's there are six teams and we haven't seen any games on this patch but it feels like that could definitely happen yeah definitely all right well thanks odo omne we're gonna take a quick break then we're gonna go to viewer questions without odo omne so stick around <laughs> We're back with viewer questions, which Monty will briefly explain how you ask and then ask one of the questions. Why haven't you already joined the Insight on Esports Discord? You should definitely do that to talk about the games. And then you should go to the GrogCoin channel and look at the pinned post. And then you'll understand how to get your Grog, which will be used for more things in the future. But this is a great use of it right now. So get your Grog while it's cold. Because that's how you would drink grog. I, I don't think you want warm grog. That actually sounds really fucking nasty. So get your grog while it's cold. Anyway, uh, we will be asking questions for SI. Uh, why can't the LCS and LEC pull off the five-day best-of-three broadcast schedule like LCK? Well, my friends, that is very expensive. That is very, very expensive to do. Um, the viewership, especially in LCS, like you watch these games on the weekend right now and they're struggling to pull in 100K. So if you were doing five days of broadcasts of best of threes and we all had to watch best of threes between, you know, Dignitas and TSM, I think the, the viewership would be even lower. And the cost of running something like this, especially in Los Angeles, where there are a bunch of production unions, is really, really expensive. Really expensive. So it's a it's a cost versus reward issue. Um, They've also painted themselves into a bit of a corner the last few years, if you think about it, because think about all the talent that they either forced to are allowed to go freelance, Monty. Well, spoiler, if they work on day rates, you're just paying more money. Like yep. this, Remember, the Asian leagues typically just hire you on a contract for the whole year. You just work for them and you come in whenever you come in. Like It's like the old days of the LEC, but as far as I know, in the modern day, a lot of the big name talents, unless they're a rioter, are on freelance contracts. So it would also, unfortunately, cost way more to get those people to work currently, I would imagine. It's not just the it's not just the talent. It's all the freelance production people sure. as well uh, in LCS. Like you, you would have to pay them all for the day rates. You'd be paying not only for more days, but also for significantly more <laughs> matches. Right now, in a non in a non super week, you only have ten games. So you're asking for potentially a, 
if you had five best of threes or five days of best of three, which is 10 best of threes, right? You're, you're doubling at minimum the amount of games to 20 and maybe doing triple at 30. So the, the expense would be absolutely enormous. Uh, and there simply isn't the money to justify that based on the viewership. If you look at LCK, LCK has massive viewership, not only in Korea, but in China, in English, you know, to the West, the viewership is not comparable for LCK. It is a much, much more popular league globally than either LCS or LEC is because of the caliber of play, because it's in the same time zone as China, which has massive viewership, right? It's even in a, it's in a good time zone for Europe. It's on in the mornings in Europe, right? It, it's in a good time zone for Australia and for Southeast Asia. Meanwhile, the only the only region LCK is in a bad time zone is NA. And this is the lowest viewership of the regions anyway for fans. So it's like ideal uh, in a way. Plus, if they're sort of ideas on the LCS broadcast, they're already eating habanero peppers and drinking milk. By the by, the time the three week, three days into a play week, they're going to be rolling a fucking gunge tank out, aren't they? Like <laughs> they're going to have nothing left at that point. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, the quality of the games would not be amazing either. So, uh, look, I don't think best of ones is good as a format for League of Legends, but it is hard from a business perspective to justify LCS or LEC going into a best of three format. LEC Here's might the problem, be Monty. I feel like if you want to do it and you want it to be good, because as you're saying, the problem is you're going to just have so many shit games that are going to draw out broadcast time. The problem is they've gone too far the other approach. Like, in my opinion, if you wanted to do the approach we're talking about, like best of threes and have it be exciting, you'd actually want a smaller league, in my opinion. Like, if you yes. had six teams, but you played the super schedule and then like four teams make the playoffs. So you could do it then. Then we can do everything because the idea would be with six teams, you compress the talent so much. Like if, like imagine if the EU playoffs just was LEC, it'd be badder. You'd watch every game, of course. Yep. You could combine but you're not going to watch it, but you're not going to watch a best of three between SK and Astralis. That's the problem. You, you could know? combine the leagues and then have them be, you know, reduce the number of teams slightly to like 16 or 14. And then I think you would have potentially very good matches. But until you do that, it's just it's really hard, guys, to justify, even though everyone knows best of one is shit. The doing best of three would make the cost go up by like three X. Now, obviously, we have to ask the next next question, which is. What Riot will say, they will present a false narrative. Well, we can't do it because it's too expensive. Well, we also don't have to have double best round robin best of oh, one exactly. leagues. We could literally just say, okay, what are the number of broadcast days that we have right now between LCS and LEC? Can we create a format, a tournament format, where we have the same number of broadcast days, but like I was saying earlier, maybe half the LEC teams travel to LCS and have a residency there, and then half the LCS teams travel to LEC and you play like these cool Western tournaments that maybe, you know, have the same number of broadcast days between the regions, but are much more exciting. Of course, they could do that. Will yeah, they? for sure. No, because the, the thing Riot does every time is they go, well, we can't possibly go to best of threes. It's like, well, you could if you just didn't have this format. Oh, we can't change the format. Why not? Yes. Crickets. So... Yeah, they could fix it, but they won't. They will they will create like this this false problem, right? Or this false restriction that they themselves invented. That's what they always do. Uh I think the casters in LCS have rested on their laurels and atrophy to an embarrassing level. I had wow. Brutal. Okay. I had to hear for four weeks how new Seraph's embrace gives so much ability haste. 
when if they just fucking read the item, they could see that it gives less than 20. They come off as lazy or checked out. I do, I do like those ones. I can't lie. When you, I do like it when you fuck up so that it could just be read on the screen. That's just a personal thing I enjoy. Because um, I, I just know this guy must have been so triggered if he knew that detail every time they mentioned it. He's just I mean, screaming I, at his screen. It's less! It's less! Read the fucking text! I mean, and I, also, if you're going to have freak on your broadcast, that's your whole shit is knowing that! Come on, man! Come on, homie! I will say, I will say there was an incident that, that did tilt, like, kind of ultra-tilt me about this last week. So, um, Azale, uh, was casting and there's like a Tristana matchup. It's Tristana not into Zeri, which is really common if you guys watch LPL, uh, oh, that yeah. you would see this counter pick, right? And so he says, Oh, I, I you know, I don't understand the Tristana. It maybe didn't say I don't understand the Tristana. He was like speculating about Tristana. And then he comes up and he's like, Well, I just looked and there aren't any Tristana picks on 12.5 because LPL is still on 12.4. Right. But it, it's been picked like 13 times in LPL. And it's like it, this is a really like if you just watch some of the top, the very top games, we're not like these are these are the games between like you know the top teams, like g games that like Billy Billy is playing or Victory yeah, Five yeah. is playing, right? They these are the games in which the Tristana has shown up. So it just shows that he's like not even watching like the best Chinese matches. I don't even watch. I watch very few LPL games, guys, and I've seen it. You know, so that was a. That was a little bit of a head scratcher for me. Guys, no, dude, to a topic that I was actually discussing. Oh, fuck, I, I can't remember if it was on my watch party yesterday. So basically, a point I was making, though, I think it's a legit one as well is because you've seen it on this talk show. If I've even made the point on this show. The reason why back in the day, the show was just like, welcome to the new episode. We'll talk about everything. We'll talk about TSM and LCS. Then we'll talk about the playoffs in EU. Then we'll talk about what's going on in LCS. The reason we could do that back in the day is everyone in each major region watched usually LCK. Like everyone just had that yeah. as their second. I get the vibe now, dude, that the th things have changed to the extent that like people, like I think part of it started, unfortunately, with that like G2 rise in LEC where they imagined that like, mm, maybe we're the best region now. Like, like, dude, from that moment onwards, I got the vibe that like LCS and LEC people feel like they're just myopically focused on their regions to some degree. Now, like, I don't get the vibe that they they branch out as much into LPL and LCK. Obviously, I'm sure well, there are. Pedro does. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he's like co-streaming. He's co-streaming everything, right? Well, there's yeah. definitely because I hear similar things where it's like the the way they say a sentence is like that really does sound like this guy hasn't watched LCK the last three weeks. Like, what, what? There's just certain things that don't jive when they say it, you know. Right. And I, I think, you know, Azale's a good caster. Like, don't get me wrong. Yeah, of like, course. It, it was just it's one of those things that, like, I, yeah, I just had, like, you know, a big question mark about that particular, like, line of thought because he he was, like, even looking up the wrong patch for the region that was playing Tristana, which is, like, that that's kind of weird in, in and of itself. And I think, unfortunately, there it shows that it's very difficult to kind of know all the major regions and i think azale oh, is. Has, has like given you know very interesting input on lane matchups and, and a bunch of shit i don't know right um when when he casts and he certainly has his strengths but at a very basic level i feel like if you're a professional caster you should at least be aware of looking at scoreboards of the biggest games that are happening in other regions or watching those vods and what what tilts me about and this may not be the LCS caster's fault, by the way. You guys cast two days a week. At all. You guys cast two, day, two days a week. Like, what are you doing with the rest of your time? Can you please just watch some VODs? And here's the answer might honest be... Honest work. That, You're just sitting down watching the game, taking notes. It's honest work, guys. 
the thing, the answer might it, be that it, it cleanses the soul. You'll feel like you're actually doing your, doing your job. It'll be great. It'll be great for you. Like, I, I just know that I was able to watch other games while literally casting 10 best of threes a week. And I will say one of the reasons I was able to do this was that OGN didn't waste my fucking time in a gazillion stupid meetings. They basically yeah, yeah. just left me alone. And when I showed up, I either knew my shit or I didn't. And they provided me with, pat, you know, stat packets and everything like that. But it was I was up to sink or swim on my own. And it's possible that these guys don't have a lot of time because the other days are spent in bullshit meetings. And one of the biggest changes for me going from OGN to Overwatch League was that I was basically like covered in production vampires, right? And OGN, they would make their own content. They knew the storylines. They knew the matchups. The producers were intimately familiar with the game and were doing the right thing. When I went to Overwatch League, it was a bunch of traditional sports boomers who had forced me to go into meetings, story meetings, and then waste hours of my time basically being like, what is the story? Can you explain to me? And then they didn't do anything with it anyway, right? But rather than just learn the game themselves, they would just suck my lifeblood, basically, and suck the lifeblood of all the other casters because they were actually basically making us do their job, um, which was infuriating. So it's possible that that is definitely, you know, <laughs> I, I would say it's definitely possible that's going on in the LCS, but uh, look, man, you know, I, I've had other jobs, you know, while going on and I'm still doing these shows and I watch all these games and it, it just seems very doable from my perspective. So. I've got a suggestion. If you're a Western talent, this is a genuine suggestion. I think you should actually look into it. It will help your career. If you just happen to be the guy where you are someone where you just like to do like, you know, this amount of work in a day. And then once you're done with what you're required to, you don't want to do extra work. Not everyone's some Kobe Bryant guy who's in the fucking gym all day. We get that. Not everyone's going to be like Kelsey Moser and Emily Randall, watch every fucking VOD under the sun, including obscure ones from PCS or whatever. Right. I get that. But here's what you could do. Hire one of those fucking people. I can tell you a story right now, a very brief one. Because if you're a CSGO fan, you know who Maui Snake is, don't you? Not just from shows he did with me or Flashpoint with Monty. You know him because he just worked kind of eats here. Because last year he worked at Blast. He is working the biggest events in CSGO. Now, here's what people don't know, Monty. Do you know how I met Maui Snake? In 2017, I did a post where I said, I want to hire two people to be research assistants for me. And what I did was I found people who were clearly knowledgeable. In his case, he was like a semi-pro player in NA. And what I asked them to do was I would just set them a task. So for example, I would pick like, like I want to do a video in two days, but I haven't got a time to do two weeks worth of research. So what I would do is I'd set them a task and it would be like, right, I want you to go and watch every Navi demo on train. And then I would ask a question. It would be like, well, how do they just get so many T-rounds though? Like in theory, they should, you know, and then he would just write a report after watching a bunch of games that gave me like the sort of crib notes version. Like, here's, here's the like basic premise. And, and the premise was in scenarios where I was at the max of my own research, this allowed me to do extra work because I've got someone legit who I know who's giving me information and he's essentially filtering out all the really great shit. And then also, he can put in there, you know, here's a great example of it. So I can just go to that example. I can see the example. I don't have to watch the 10 games to find the one example. There are loads of people in League of Legends would do that for you. They would go and watch LPL for you like that. Pay them a couple of hundred bucks. Ask them to write you a little report. Ask for like the game of the week. Ask for like the key picks in the meta that I've changed. Ask for like, I don't know, you know, like here's a very unique like, comp that no one's ever run. 
that was all you'd need for real is a few hours if you did this properly and you could actually gain so much insight that you could just in this case if you don't have the time it'll allow it'll it'll bridge that gap for you and you'll you'll seem informed about the world i think that would, for real if i were them if you know the money they're on there's so many volunteer people in the community would do this and some of them as you might see with mouse dig some of them low might even turn out to have talent themselves it might even then end up becoming a part of the industry themselves if they're legit who knows or alternatively thorin you could just co-stream because apparently Cadrill can co-stream all the LCK and LPL matches and I get it in NA it's hard to co-stream especially if you live in Los Angeles because in the middle of fucking night and like you don't want to invert your your sleep schedule but you could just stream in an NA time zone and watch the VODs I mean you can you can certainly monetize this content if you're a caster considering we have other people who are contracted to Riot doing it the problem guys is that that grind is brutal and like, if you really want to be, I, I can just tell you this as somebody who was at the apex of League of Legends analysis, and I would not currently count myself there, by the way, uh, it's really hard. It's re like, it is a really epic grind and it's even harder now because LPL is a oh, lot better sure. than it used to be. Yes. It's even harder than it was when I was doing it, right? Yes. It was easier when I was doing it because all of the good games in 2014 and 20, not so much 2015, but 2014, especially were happening while I was casting them, right? I was casting every game in the region in the best region where all of the talent was. So I just had to throw in some, some LCS and like, or NA and EU LCS as it was called at the time and on the side. And I was pretty much good, right? There were some Chinese games I would watch. There were some Taiwanese games I would watch, but for the most part, I was already casting those games. It's way harder now. And it's especially hard if you're not casting a good region, if you're casting NA, because you have to watch all the other games from the actually good regions. You have um, three regions to watch now for real. Yeah. So it's rough. I think it's really rough to be that guy, but you, you know, you are rewarded, you know, if you're Cadrill and on some epic mega grind right now, or dominate, for example, is another guy who co who co-streams fucking three regions or watch yes. parties, three regions, whatever. Um, he doesn't do Korea, but even then he watches at least a few of the, the better Korean best of threes a week. And I know this because on my show, the jungle with him, we talk about them. So like, it's hard. I think it's really hard. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but it's, it's not a coincidence that when we did that episode where we like talked about the greatest players in every role in the entire history of League of Legends, there's a reason I picked Dominate as the guest because in the modern day, there's about two other people can even fucking do that particular, like no one else would even be qualified beyond like Kelsey and Emily or something, you know, of the people that don't come on the shows, obviously that we don't get along with, but there's barely anyone in that current position anymore. Like, as you say, it's just untenable. But with that said though, just because that extreme is untenable, doesn't mean, oh, I've done my LCS work. Oh, this backpack's so heavy. Oh, time to play a bit of fucking TFT and watch Arcade. No, you still have to do your job, mate. Because here's the other thing. At the end of the day, we don't really have to suggest anything. These people should want to do this. This is their career, remember? Like, to me, they're trying... I would hope they're trying to be excellent at what they do and be the best they can be and try and be an, an expert and know what they know and make the use of their time. So I would hope they're also self-motivated. And, you know, if you think they're slacking, maybe you're just not vibing with it or maybe they've just started the year slow and they're going to ramp up as it goes on. I mean, uh, like, the, the hilarious joke, Thorin, is, like, the biggest grinders of the last couple of years have been LS and Dom, co-streaming fucking everything. Oh, absolutely. They yeah. have been, by far, the greatest global experts on, sure. you know, professional yes. League of Legends. Uh, now, Cadrill is in the mix as well, right? Um, and LS, you know, temporarily was, like, taking the coaching job and maybe took a step back, but he's, he's back to co-streaming watch parties now. Only one of these guys is actually on a fucking Riot broadcast. What is yep. that? 
Like your your actual biggest experts in the world are not even fucking on your broadcasts. Yeah, agreed. That's that's pretty insane. But let's bring out the spicy peppers. <laughs> oh yeah, the habanero. <laughs> to be fair, dude, I really do love Raz's like the skits and stuff. Thing, I really myself. funny. I just think that whole premise was whack. Though like, the premise was whack, but he has like the thing, the 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 little skit they did where he was like cheering for himself and running around the stage was fucking. Hilarious. That was funny. Raz is Raz is great at selling these bits and and doing the skits. Really good. Um, Riot states they believe teams win together only when they are both diverse and inclusive. Why do you think no female players have broken through to the professional lol scene? Nobody knows the answer to that question, by the way. What are steps the community teams Riot should make to foster more female talent in the space? So here's the thing about women in, in professional League of Legends. Now, there is no voice chat that actually, well, there is voice chat, but nobody uses it. So there effectively is no voice chat in this game. Solo queue, yeah. Yeah, in solo queue. So you would expect that that would not be an issue of people getting abused for for being women in the solo queue. And yet, I have never heard of any professional team scouting a, a, a female player beyond Ramilia when she was on my team, Renegades. So I don't know the answer to this. Um, I don't know if there's something about League of Legends that, you know, perhaps many women don't enjoy playing. Um, I don't know if, there is like a form, uh, like if if they make, I assume that if they make their gender known that like in many other games, they get shit on in solo queue. That is an unfortunate reality that occurs. Um, I don't know. I don't know what the answer is. Um, there are similar questions we can ask. Why are there no female Formula One drivers? Doesn't seem like that's a, you know, physical limitation. I, I, think, I think on that one, they claimed there was like, a, I think maybe like a woman's driven like once or twice or something. I'm not certain on that one, but I think there was maybe like the one Scott job. I don't think there was ever proper drivers though. Yeah, as far as I know. So I, I don't think anybody actually knows the answer to this question, guys. All I'll um, say is this, is League isn't the right game to ask this question if you think it's just due to societal factors. Because as Monty said, solo queue is literally not using voice comms. You can call your name anything you want, including a string of numbers. So in theory, you could hide who you are. And if it's just about showing, as you would think would be the case, that you're just really good. And then, uh, by the way, this would even be the best way to show that it's about other factors in other games. Just get to Challenger in NA. Because here's the thing. Tyler One's done it in every single role. And Tyler One isn't a pro player. So if he can do it in every role... You can surely do it in one role if you're really good at the game. All we're saying now is just prove like the raw ability level. Because the other shit is like you're just off in the weeds there. Like who the fuck knows how society is structured and what happened in the past and then how do people feel about it? And then self-esteem. Like you're so off in the weeds there. We're never going to have answers for that. Just pure speculation, isn't it? Well, I think there there also have been over over the years, you know, famously, the, the anecdotal story that's told is that when Nintendo first came out, they had to decide because there were like boys toys aisles and girls toys aisles, which one to put it in. And they put the Nintendo in the boys toys aisle. And so then it became perceived as video gaming being masculine. There was also certainly like, I think, a loop of because it was all these things were made by men to appeal to men in video gaming. There hasn't until more recent years been a focus on perhaps women developing games, even, you know, competitive games that might be more attractive to women for whatever reason. Right. I think there's a lot to unpack in the general gaming space uh, about 
why there aren't more female video gamers, but I think that's changing now. I think you see a lot more women playing video games than you have in the past. Um, and so maybe as this trend continues, there will be new esports that come out or even old esports um, that start to see more female professional players. But I think, I mean, who the fuck knows, honestly? Like, I don't All know. All I'm going to say is I've got two things I'll push back with. I'll just make these two points and we'll move on to the next question. Here's the two points. One, as far as I know, when they've done studies, you can give fucking chimps, like apes, like a, a baby apes, a bunch of human toys. And you know what, Monty? The female ones take the ones that look like the babies and use them like a baby. And the boys go and get all the trucks. Now, I don't know if you know this, but nobody speaks ape language. Nobody can tell that guy, you know, you're societally expected to play with it. Like, nobody can have that conversation to fucking ape. A monkey, rather. It, it just does what it does on instinct, doesn't it? So I would say some of this might even be inherent into what humans are. And then the last thing I would say is this. On the angle of, like, that angle of, like, games and stuff, because that's another popular one. It's like the idea that women didn't build the games, therefore they didn't build the game. By the way, spoiler, nobody's stopping you. I don't know if you know this, but if you've had a computer and internet access, like, there's been free programming languages and compilers on the internet for dozens of years now anyone could have made that game who's a woman who wants to I, 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 it's not my job to make that game for you if you believe this is true go out and do it and I would just say this I think if you look how cynical people in fucking America are at marketing every single possible demographic I don't really know that I buy the idea that like they just didn't think like why don't we just market to the other half of the demographic and make all the money because mate if you don't know one of the famous complaints uh, that women sometimes make is that if, you're, if you know the razor that they buy might be the exact same razor as the men's one, but because of how they market it to women, it costs more because they market more to women on like this shit that they end up, it costs, the razor costs more even though it's the same razor. Well, in that premise, like did no one ever figure out like if there was a certain type of game that women just loved, I think someone would have found it by now. I think the problem is in the modern day, there are so many people play games in general, even if women just end up in hardcore games like esports games, being a small that, they're gonna, there's going to be a lot of them just because we scaled the whole amount up. So here's the thing guys it doesn't matter whether as a general trend they're better or worse they are here you are going to have to interact with them and the pro scene on some level is going to have to interact with them not least because in the current world of esports the entire scene is fueled by sponsorship dollars and marketing so at the moment it will always be valuable and to certain demographics to market women so women are going to be part of the pro space so the question to me is I, I personally think all that stuff's like look it's great for a discussion or a debate or bringing in scientists or psychologists that's all brilliant stuff in its own right but for my money it's more about things like essentially he's sort of asking like what could riot do or what could the teams do or something unfortunately i think it's a wider question i don't think there's anything specific in league can do get someone in a challenge or something like i can't think of anything they've done that sort of would dissuade them like i said for solo queue because i actually think league's the most extreme example where in theory raw skill could climb you to the top you know and say yes if you don't know if you even play a matchmaking game and turn your mic off people will complain so that game is a different cup of tea entirely yeah, I think, too, that the the more recent games that have appealed to a younger generation of which there are more female players like Valorant have had more female pros show up. That's true. Uh, yeah. uh, Overwatch was another one. I mean, League's a, a game that's, what, 13 years old now? And sure, there are new players. And I think things like Arcane will boost the player base. But it it definitely the pros are the pros in CS and LOL are on average older than they are in Valorant and Overwatch. And Valorant and Overwatch have surfaced more female professional players. So it could be a generational thing as well. Uh, let's see here. Have you caught up on Drive to Survive season four yet? I have one episode to go and I watched the race yesterday morning. Do you have any thoughts on the show or the 22 F1Zs? I have a lot of thoughts, actually. Um, 
I'm one of the Americans who became a fan of Formula One because of the narratives of of Drive to Survive and watching that show and how fucking good it is. Uh, and now I I watched a lot of last season. And like I said, I watched the first game this season. I've been keeping up on it. You know, as far, I think Formula One basically is an eSport. They they basically just patched Formula, did a massive patch to Formula One and changed all the rules with the cars, which is really interesting because I it, we're going to see how that plays out in terms of which constructors are better, which drivers are better within like- the element, meta. right? Because think about it, the courses stay, well, I mean, slightly sometimes they change as you can yeah. or whatever, but the course stays the same, but the joke is like the champions change, the cars change, yep. or the rule set of yep. how your car can be constructed. They even have, by the way, the nightmare thing we always complain about in league. You know, in league, the worst job ever is GM, because it's like, you know, last year, ADCs were barely relevant. So it's like, right, I'll just get a sick top lane. And then the joke now is like, it's all about ADC in mid. Like, that's what it's like with those things. You sign a driver and you get a new technology and then they just ban that tech like right before the season. Yep. Like, oh, fuck. I put all my money in that. Like, no, it's, it's it's there's some nightmare shit like that for sure. Yeah, they just like nerfed nerfed Lewis Hamilton's car. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like you're too good at this meta, Lewis. <laughs> um, yeah, I think I think it's fun in that way though to see like a kind of a physical sport be very similar in my mind to an esport or the most similar it could be basically, uh, and. The narratives are just fucking great. I mean, that's Drive to Survive is just incredible content. The fact that they have, they have like, what's so awesome about what Formula One realized with Drive to Survive is that they have exactly like the right number of drivers to keep it interesting in terms of variety and number while not having too many to be overwhelming because there's only right. 20, right? So you feel like you know each of the drivers, even on the bad teams, and that there's an interesting narrative going on Constantly, because even though obviously like Verstappen Hamilton was such a fucking like barn burner, like epic rivalry last season, even like the fifth, sixth place yeah, rivalries that, are interesting. It's all microcosm. Right? Yeah, yeah, it's really interesting. That. So yeah. like you can you basically every level of Formula One, even if you're bad in Formula One, way, if you're in like the ninth, if you're in the ninth best car. Just getting a like third place. That's your like win. Yeah. That's your equivalent of a win. Yeah. If you do that one time, I mean, who's that fucker in Ferrari who just won a race already? He won like what zero oh, the entire last season. Yeah, that the guy yeah. won the other day, right? Yep. Yeah, and like it's so even even like the storylines of like George Russell going to Mercedes is really interesting because he overperformed in like a garbage car on Williams and then now made a transition to a top team, even though they may not have the, the top car anymore because Ferrari is looking really strong and even Haas is looking pretty good. But it's like Haas just scored their first points in in two years and Haas famously last season basically just gave up on building a car for last season went all in on the changes they knew were coming to build a car for this right. year instead so they just basically gave up last season were like all chips all in on this year and now they they placed fifth in their first race like that's really good for their standards so i mean i think the narratives are absolutely crazy good uh drive like the fact the competition was so close now you know certainly don't think the refing was super good on that last on that last race like the decisions that they made were pretty suspect and disappointing. Unfortunately, but, the, Formula One's quite famous for like corruption in that regard. Like, there's a lot of fuckery behind the scenes of politics yeah. and who gets the calls and who doesn't. There's loads of that shit going on always. Yeah, 
So but one thing I like about this, I, I'm not a fan of Formula One. I don't watch this show. But the one thing I do want us to take from Formula One, because it does my head and we don't have this in esports, dude. The reason why I always say back in the day, that I actually think the best format and circuit ever was actually when the CPL did that painkiller world tour. It's because, spoiler, they just copied Formula One. Each month, there was one tournament every month in a different place in the world. All the same people went to each tournament. Yep. It was, the, And then at the end, you have a massive final. Like, it's actually... The the best it's basically the best format because you only have that one weekend or whatever out of the month you have to watch but it keeps the same because it's the same people though the narrative's update yep. and you get to have a life outside of that it's not like in American sports where it's like watch everything for the next three months but even then not 90% of the tip like you actually get to get like all the narrative so I think it, for like for most esports games if you could ever get that circuit it's basically the sweet spot between like too, too much in Counter-Strike and then too little in League yeah, and it's also just the content you can create. The reason why Drive to Survive is so good is because it goes through all, you know, you can, it's easily consumable content. And the F1 itself is easily consumable. What, it takes up an hour and a half of my time on Sundays once a week and like 8 a.m. Pacific time? Like it's, it's actually just really easy to watch and follow the narratives. And guess what? If you miss the narratives, even F1 on the F1 app, they like, they literally have gone back to like the 70s, I think, at this point in time. And you can watch hour long episodes of recaps, documentary recaps of every season going back to the oh, 70s okay. at this point. That's cool. And they just released a three part documentary about the Verstappen uh, Hamilton rivalry from last season that I haven't watched yet, but I will watch it. So, like, it, it, they have made it so easy to get invested in the history and narratives of the sport. It's fucking rule. It's just fucking awesome right now, guys. Like Formula One is was so good last season in terms of the drama. And it requires very little of your time to get into it. And if you want to get more into it, they provide the easiest possible way to get into it more. It's great. Like they have absolutely destroyed like the content and marketing. They are the best sport in the world right now to watch or esport in terms of content narratives hooks everything it is incredibly impressive what they're doing the only thing is though i do personally find it a little bit awkward it's called drive to survive but <laughs> just saying it is literally a sport where people die while yeah. driving i'm just, I'm just saying, <laughs> listen i know listen someone in a boardroom great great sounding name just could get awkward that's all i'm saying you know could get awkward yeah all right well that's it so I, I'm really enjoying F1, guys. It, it was really fun to watch last season. It was pretty crazy. Really, really entertaining. Um, what drew you to make Grog Coin instead of a more traditional method for community support, such as Patreon? So the thing about cryptocurrency is we can do more things with it. Um, first off, instead of you guys just paying money, it, it actually is a form. Uh, it can reward you if it obviously increases in value and you hold it instead. Um, we can also do more things with it in the long run, such as uh, if you get in early and you know the price increases, well, we can sell merch for a fixed USD value in Grog Coin, where you get more bang for your grog, as it were. Um, we we do want to do like live events and watch parties later on, where we could theoretically sell tickets or drinks for that, and we can create our own economy where we're not obligated to be on one platform. So if you if you were on Patreon. And we switch platforms. Well, then we have to fucking start over, guys. We can use Grog for everything forever. We can't get deplatformed, uh, depending on what the future holds. Uh, you know, who knows if we were to maybe sign a Twitch, like a YouTube exclusive contract, and get off Twitch entirely. Uh, you know, that way we don't just lose all our Twitch subs, right? Um, so there's there's really good reasons to do it. Um, the hookup through Rally, to be fair. Yeah, and also Rally, Rally. 
is reward re the the rally rewards in and of itself because of the platform are very good for us. Uh, so please go get Grogcoin to support us, um, and we're gonna find out find more uses for it in the future. But basically, it allows you the the advantages is that it allows you to create a monetization system that is platform independent and create our own economy, which we control entirely and no one can fuck with. So it's good. Why is the all pro voting such a fucking mess? Shit like one person voting Jezu is third team all pro. Someone voted Mercer's first team all pro. Okay, look, some people are gonna make wacky decisions. I actually think the all pro voting was pretty good for, for LEC this time around. It was pretty good. It was less of a mess than it has been in the past. I'll put it that way. The problem I have is, uh, uh, people will know if they've ever watched my solo content on my YouTube channel. I did, like, there's two topics that I can't do more videos on, Monty, because it's just repeating the same video three years later. Those two topics are this. All LEC slash LCS voting, because it's just me taking out the PDF and going, this person's obviously just troll voting. This person didn't watch the split. And at the end going, why do all the media people get a vote? Like, it's the same shit every time. And then the other one is... The, the way the world seeding is done is a bad system for the, yeah, we, at this point you get that. If, I think you've yeah. heard the rant 700 times. So the problem is, unfortunately, it's not even just a League of Legends problem here, boys. If you've never followed traditional sports, this yeah. happens in every sport. Like, I don't know if people know this. One of the reasons why there are so rarely ever unanimous MVPs in the NBA and NFL is there is always some dickhead who literally, for no reason, will vote like... I'm not joking. Like, there'll be a guy from Boston who'll just vote Brady one year, even though he's not even, like, the best. Or there was one year where someone did something mental. Like, I think there was the year that Shaq was supposed to win the unanimous MVP, and some guy just voted, like, yeah, Alan Iverson instead, even though like at the time, like Alan Iverson was like half as good a player or something, you know, like he was a star player, but you like it was like a clear case where this guy should win. So unfortunately, it's in the modern day, since media get to vote, media in the modern day live and die on narratives. So unfortunately, I think they will always be biased to the narrative over in my opinion, the harsh reality. Because here's the problem. The best example ever is what happened in the NBA in the 2010s. Basically, LeBron James every year was eligible to be the MVP. But because he'd won like four out of five years, Monty, they just never gave him it ever again. Because the problem was they didn't want to be like, and he wins his fifth and his sixth and his seventh. So to them, that was, even though to me, if you have skill, that's actually its own brilliant narrative if you know what you're doing. But to bad journalists, they wanted to each time... Like, this year, it has to be Russell Westbrook. Oh, can we find a way to make it Kevin Durant? And they would just, every year, they would just go out of their way to make a different person the MVP because it, they wanted a new storyline, you know? It's like it's like how people win the Oscar for, like, a random Absolutely. movie, even though, but like, they weren't they got, even the best that year, but because they got they got screwed exactly. over in previous they years. It's like, years ago, it's like Pacino or something. Yeah, exactly. And they're like, <laughs> better give him his Oscar at the end. Like, basically, the best example ever is, like, you know, DiCaprio. Yeah. Of all the movies that he won for, the fucking one with the bear. No way. Like, he did, like, 10 movies that could have won. But that's it, because they, they know, like, fucking corrupt N N yep. NBA refs. Like, sorry, we didn't get you on that one, so we'll get you back later with this. Yep. Like, they just paid him off at the end with the Oscar, didn't they? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. It's, it's also, I mean, it, it, you know, NFL is pretty tilting, too, because even though, like, so Aaron Rodgers wins this last year, right? And it, it, the positional bias is just insane. Now, obviously, the quarterback is undeniably has the biggest effect. So, but at the same time, how many, like what kind of performance does a wide receiver like Cooper cup even have to have in this past year? He basically oh, sure. just like broke a bunch of records or tied them. And he can't, he, he had like two votes for MVP. Like he can't even get a few, like, come on, yeah, yeah. you know, it, at, at a certain point, 
the NFL is just so horribly biased to QBs as MVP that you can have record setting seasons as a defensive player or as a wide receiver and you will get you're not even really in contention, which is kind of stupid, in my opinion. Oh, there's some some notorious ones like that where they just didn't even really take it seriously. Like if anyone remembers when Megatron almost had like two thousand yards. Yep. Even this season, that fucking Jonathan Taylor guy, where he was a fucking monster, wasn't he? He was like destroying yeah. everyone. If people don't remember the season where Aaron Donald had twenty sacks, unfortunately, I think that was like JJ Watt multiple seasons. Oh, loads. Yeah, like you can make a case for all these people, but the problem is they're just afterthoughts, aren't they? Because how they vote, yeah, yeah. So it's a it's a little ridiculous, I think, especially in the NFL, where it's it's basically like always going to be a quarterback or occasionally a running. I think Adrian Peterson was the last like non quarterback to win it. Um, so it doesn't feel like that's going to happen at any time ever again. But Pounder 420, you asked this question last week and we answered it. What's a band or series that is criminally underknown? Do you even watch when you ask when you ask questions? We what literally you know <laughs> could pick some other ones. What are all the ones that you didn't pick last time? <laughs> so I think this one, this one's a little bit different because to be fair, but it was quite similar, but we, this question has legs. We can do another one. All right. Pick another one then. Go all on. right. Here is a band that I think is criminally underknown. Um, so... I picked VNV Nation last week. So here is so people will probably know more than the the second band I'm gonna name, but the Hold Steady is a band that I really like because they do non-traditional structures, they don't always use choruses. Um so the Hold Steady is a is a very strange band that has like they kind of sound like a drunk barroom band. And their singer can't really sing, but has great lyrics. And the band I was listening to, um, or I was reading an interview with their singer who writes their lyrics, who said that one of his main inspirations was this Canadian band called The Weaker Thans. And The Weaker Thans are a fucking really good underrated band with, if you love lyrics and you love like beautifully written songs, Hold Steady and The Weaker Thans are fabulous. So there and you what go. was the genre that they're in? indie rock oh okay so sort of guitar like four key guitar music or yeah 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 basically okay ah uh, let me think right being a being as technically it's criminally underrated not that you've never heard of them I, some people might have heard of this band but one of my favorite groups of all time is a group called the cinematic orchestra which is a type of jazz music but it's new jazz it's not like charlie parker or any of that shit it's it's a very melodic but the thing is i just think it's incredible like if, here's the thing if you haven't ever heard of them you will almost certainly have seen like documentaries and stuff that had their music as the background i think it's mega like all the stuff they've done for the last like 20 years i'm, I'm just mega into so there there's a band for you let me think Oh, I've got one for you, actually, because I recommend this the other day. Everyone loves that fucking show, Black Mirror, don't they? Because it was the hype and it was on Netflix and that. Even though, by the way, the episodes when it was like a British show before it went to Netflix were like 10 times better. And it, that show sort of jumped the shark the last few seasons. But what people don't know is, at the same time when that popped off on Netflix, a bunch of the other TV-type publisher people were trying to ride the hype right so there was one that they made i think it was made for amazon prime or something and it was called philip k dick's electric dreams and as far as i know most good? of it most of it wasn't to do with philip k dick it was like they just talk like premises and build them into episodes but it's kind of like black mirror every episode's a self-contained episode that's a totally unique sci-fi story and this is also if people don't know about it that's not even a modern thing that's just a twilight zone if you've never seen it but basically it, this was better than black mirror it was like actually if you like black mirror the old ones this is like some of these ones were really good and each of them were like super drastically different to the other ones so i won't say like the ones i, I can give you, maybe, give you a couple of them there's one where like 
And by the way, they have like proper Hollywood actors in as well, by the way. Like the guy like fucking Breaking Bad, he's in one as like a main character. The fucking, um, what's her name? Anna Paquin, that one out of like, you know, that young woman. She was like in one with Terrence Howard or some fucking shit. Like they have some big name actors in these. These are like legit ones as well. So, because like I say, I think it was like an Amazon production or something. So I'd check that out. If you like that sort of a thing, Twilight Zone, Black Mirror, you're going to, some of these are mega. You'll love some of these. I'll have to check that out. I haven't seen it myself, but I would enjoy that. Um, I don't know what other series... I said slings and arrows last week. Uh, I've got a question because I feel like if you haven't seen this show, then it is the recommendation for you, Monty. I know the show that if you haven't seen, you should 100% watch. Did you ever watch the Tom Hardy series, Taboo? No, I haven't. You should definitely go watch. Basically, uh, I love Tom Hardy. Uh, too. Spoiling <laughs> it, a, Tom Hardy's in it and he's mega. And B, it's about, I can't remember the exact time period, Monty, but it's the whole period when like the British East India Company existed. Spoiler, they're in it as a bad an enemy and it's all in britain and basically he's a guy with this is all revealed in the first, like he has like a, he inherits like a plot of land in like part of africa where obviously the whole continent had been divided up colonially and it's just it's a mixture of like intrigue and like magical elements and like this obviously tom hardy's just a fuck the shit as the character he plays it's only like six episodes something maybe right up your yeah, alley that's exactly that's the area you'd love yeah yeah that sounds awesome i will i will definitely check it out um go. i mean obviously like I don't know. I watch a lot of documentaries. So I guess criminally unknown. Um, there are some. Uh, let me figure out his. What was his? You've seen these documentaries, the British documentary about. Um, he's a documentarist who did about the uh, Freud's nephew, Edward Bernays. Oh, Adam, Curtis. Adam Curtis's documentaries um, are fucking insanely good. If you really want some. Oh, mind-bending shit. Um, it's a bit like if you enjoy my work, he's kind of doing what I'm doing. You're trying to sort through history and like put together the narratives using the like shit you find to construct your own overarching theme as to what yeah. was going on, etc. You know. So he he basically like looks at history through really interesting lenses. So the century of the self was basically Edward Bernays was Freud's nephew, and so he started applying Freud's theories of psychoanalysis and basically built advertising based off of them. So even if you think psychoanalysis is bullshit, the advertising industry is still entirely built on it. And so that's really interesting. Um, there's a essentially book. the premise for Mad Men, if people like that. I can't yeah. say, that was essentially, it's like the precursor to what, where that all came from. Yeah, The Power of Nightmares is really interesting, where he talks about kind of the concurrent rise between neoconservatism in the West and conservative the conservative uh, interpretation Islam, right? Islam, of Islam, yeah. um, in the middle East. That's super interesting. Um, but yeah, he's got, he's got a bunch of fucking crazy, like really mind bending documentaries. I'd even compare him, by the way, to actually like, I, I think for me, LS is in this vein because it's someone that when you get into their stuff, really you're getting into their worldview. It's how they apply yeah. their lens to the world. So what you you have to build up your whole terminology of what they think of this, that. But once you get a few of the planks in place, like with LS, like if you kind of know what he's talking about when he says freezing and like, then all of a sudden it opens up and it becomes mega. You, you want to know everything he thinks about all those topics. Yeah. So I think he's like a really, really interesting uh, documentarist. Him and Alex Gibney, who Alex Gibney is obviously like really famous. And if you have HBO Max, you can watch a bunch of his documentaries like um, the Going Clear Scientology documentary, the latest one he did on Elizabeth Holmes and um, uh, Theranos, the the sham, the scam yeah. company. Like he does a lot of really good documentaries. Uh, like the he did one a. On Jack Abramoff and the United States of Money, uh, his documentaries tend to be really, really good uh, as well. 
what do you consider your biggest accomplishment? Doesn't have to be esports specific. Somehow surviving what 17, 18 years in esports? That is incredibly difficult, guys, because <laughs> not many people have been able to do that. Uh surviving this long in general, because you have to basically change games uh you know continue to provide other skill like you have to have like a massive toolbox of skills in order to be able to do that and serve in all kinds of different roles it is real hard to do that i would say along those lines probably becoming an on-camera person owner if people don't know i've never said the names of who they are but if you really like you could guess they their fans wouldn't guess basically when i first started doing commentary and on-camera stuff i had a whole bunch of really legendary esports people take me to one side monty and tell me like it's like they did the same with richard they were like you'll never make it mate like you, you just not, you haven't got it i've seen it and you haven't got it and you know like you're not charismatic like yeah you have good gaming for they even told me by the way like you should just be the guy who makes like the notes and passes them to the commentators or whatever but i didn't listen because i mean here's the thing they were actually right at the time i wasn't that great but I'm, I'm just someone where it's like, I don't give up until I've exhausted all my attempts, you know. I wait until I see if I can actually get through it all. So that's, that's a pretty good accomplishment. Not bad. Yep. Yeah, I agree. I mean, when we first met, you never did on-camera stuff. You just were never. the voice yeah, yeah. in the in your interviews. Oh, yeah. If you want a little side accomplishment, I'll tell you what was pretty personally satisfying. How about when I got fired from an event in Poland and they didn't just fire me. They issued a statement in which the second paragraph explains that they don't hire people who are xenophobic, racist or bigoted, implying I am those things. And then the same company two years later had to hire me back to work their majors. Oh. <laughs> oh. All I'm saying is that was a, a, a fucking wonderful drink I had when I had that discussion. Oh, notice notice the shit, that they mate. never... I love that. I don't think they should have, to be clear about my thoughts, but notice that they never made this uh, proclamation about Sadakis despite the fact that Wait, he, all that works, <laughs> isn't it? Yeah. he said way worse shit, and then he's back working for them. I actually think Loki, they sort of did learn their lesson from that. They're like, wait a minute, we're going to have to hire this person again in a few years. It might look bad if we've sort of like openly fucking condemned them on, in in words. Like, yeah. <laughs> uh, That's pretty great. Um, if you had some empty walls to decorate, what would you put on them? Well, I sit, I sit in this room with empty walls because I'm too lazy to decorate it and give you a nice background. Um, here, I'll show you a really stupid painting that I have that's not on the wall. Hold on. Hold, hold up. I don't know the rest of it. I never saw fucking Japanese. I'm not American, am I? I don't know why I'm saying that. That's all like Sesame Street and shit. It wasn't on at two in the morning, was it? There you go. How about that? Good old Big Bird. All right. RIP now, of course. Don't watch that show. It's all just fucking propaganda, isn't it? But anyway, what you said? <laughs> I, I, I don't know what was said while I was gone. Uh, right. I, have a, I have this really stupid painting that I bought in a, a store in Dallas. Like a thrift store. It's like a meme painting, guys. You might have seen it like on my Instagram. It was in the Overwatch League uh, makeup room for a long time. It's it's actually the dumbest painting. Like it's it's a really sh shockingly good painting, but you just don't know why anyone would ever paint it who had any level of talent. All right, oh yeah, I remember you posted this. It's like a, it's like a, it's a sailor guy, right? Some sort of fisherman type fucker, right? So like. 
What the fuck is going on in this page? Listen, if that was like a children's book and I was eight years old, I'd be taking that off the shelf. Looks fire, but it is a bit of an unusual picture. (laughs) Well, it's like this guy like is like a fishing boat captain, but I guess we're supposed to assume like he's on this like sailing boat and he's huge, but everything else is is very small and he's like wistfully looking at the sunset. Like the, the more you look at this painting, like the weirder it fucking gets. And my wife hates it. So she won't let me put it in the house. <laughs> so it's just here in the studio. So someday we'll get it in the background guys. But I, like, what the fuck is going on in this painting? Why, why would you ever make this? It's also, I tried to find the artist, but it's literally only signed. Hold on. It's like a first name. So we're never going to find out who did it. It just says Jordan in the lower left corner. What is it? Who knows? So, the, you know, questionable meme art for at least this space. All right. Well, I think that's the last question we had for this week. Did you answer way, it? Like I said, no, no, no. What, what was the question, by the way? <laughs> if, if you had blank walls, what would you put your, what would you put, what art would you put on it? Here's the thing. I, I've never had any art on my walls because I'm, I'm more of like a fucking functional person. I don't really give a fuck. But in the future, I do actually plan. I'm going to buy like really sick art that I think's amazing. I've actually recently gotten super in. Believe it or not, Monty, through Twitter, I actually really got into that era of art where it's called romanticism. Like oh, yeah. the, Rus- the Russian romanticist, romanticist art, uh, artists are fucking insane. It's all like, if you've, if you've ever seen my timeline, you'll know it's all like the amazing sunsets and fucking fields. But it just look, like the quality that they go to is fucking so epic. Because I like it. I don't want it to look hyper real. I want it to look artistic, but I want it to look like, have some skill in the painting, you know. I don't like pure impressionism or whatever generally. So I, I just love that shit. I'll probably buy some of that stuff for real one day to put on my walls. Obviously, I won't do it on the one that you guys can see but just in general comic book art's always a classic one as well if you have a really good artist morbius or something yeah oh and by the way as i said earlier if you want to ask questions for richard lewis be sure to ask some questions for the next four horsemen episode because it will be soon we can't say more than that i mean i i also buy whenever i travel i buy usually a bunch of art or oriental rugs because i love uh you know rugs. so i have rugs from all over you know the middle east and the world um there's a Western artist that I like. He's actually French, but he lives in New Mexico. He's a gorgeous uh, artist named Mark Maggiore. And I bought some of his like limited edition prints and stuff of his oil paintings that are just spectacular. I uh, need to get those, need to get those framed. But if you, if you, if you like looking at cowboys on horses, then Mark Maggiore, highly recommended. So there you go. Uh, that's it. Last question for this week. See you next week. We'll talk about Super Week and LCK playoffs and LEC playoffs. Goodbye.